Oh, hi guys! What's going on? It's only episode 77. Edition. It's like some edition of the Chronicles of the Podcast. No, we didn't do episodes around here, boys. Fuck it out. Oh, gosh. No, we're not. Um, but Jamie, we're back with another edition of the Chronicles of the Podcast. And I do believe this week we actually have a guest. Yes, we're back to normal. Beautiful. We can't wait for this. I do believe that right here, just off screen, literally, just literally under that little black bit right there, yeah. are the Chronicles of Kiff and Hugo. Yeah, they are. Beautiful! Let's get started! Hit it! Hey, honey bunny, it's Rivka Reyes. This is Ron Wasserman, the nut that wrote Go Go Power Rangers. It's Boba Fett here. This is Molly Rennick from Living Dead Girl. It's WWE superstar legend Davy Boy Smith's daughter, Georgia Smith. Uh, 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 here we go. Hey, it's uh, Nicholas Cage. I just want to start by welcoming you to the Chronicles of Podcast with, uh, with, with Jamie and Tom. So, uh, so welcome. Uh, actually, it's, it's, it's not, uh, it's, uh, Harrison Ford. You're listening to the Chronicles of Podcast. What are you doing? Al Pacino. Chronicles of Podcast. Jamie and Tom. Let's go. Uh, hi, uh, Kiff Van and Hubel. I'm the guy who just did all that. Uh, welcome to the Chronicles of Podcast with Jamie and Tom. Here we go. There is no chance my parents would have opened it, believed it all, let me go to London to run against the wall to get onto a train platform. How can I describe a bounty? Like, it's almost like they're the cold play of chocolate. His wife's just like, do you always think of fucking work? Hello, everybody, and welcome to the 77th edition of the Chronicles of Podcast. And these are the Chronicles of Kiff Vandenhuvel. It is I, the bearded Brummy Jamie, and joining me, as always, as always, there's this handsome bugger right there who looks really confused. Yeah, Mr. Scotsman Tom, what's going on, guys? Welcome to another edition of the Chronicles of Podcast. I can't work out what your these is. If That's you're what the Ah, of course. Of course. These, these, these. These, these, these. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome, guys, to the 77th edition of the Chronicles of Podcast. And yes, we actually have a guest this week. We love it. We're back in the driving seat. We're back properly. We bloody love it when this happens. We apologise for last week. It literally is some circumstances, power cuts. You, na- you name it, it happened. All right. Yeah, so it we wasn't a good week. <laughs> no, it wasn't a good week. We had we had shit planned and it just didn't go to plan. So basically, so uh, we go bugged up. Um, so yeah, apologies. Jamie, there's been an absolute travesty this week. An okay. absolute travesty. Where or why do companies, when there's something that is so popular and sells so well, companies go, hmm. I think we'll just delete it, get rid of that completely. Oh, I hate have it when they do the, that. Have you but heard what? the news? Cadbury have deleted the egg and spoon. What? And I'm actually heartbroken about it. I used to bloody love them buggers. Do you know what? Now I yeah, I haven't seen them this year. Yeah, I haven't even put no, that. And apparently shops have sold, pretty much sold out everywhere. You, you'd be, it'd be amazing if you can get one now. What the fuck? 
Why did they do that? The Dream Bar was so popular. I love the Dream. I'm still oh, not do you know what? That's selling so well. Get rid of it. Fuck it, Dave. Just get rid of it. It's like a bit on a um, on a game show when you lose and they still win the prize out. <laughs> Let's see what you could have won. Not it is it? You could have won. <laughs> it's it's a million pounds for the rest of your life every month, but you can't have that because you're fucking stupid, aren't you? Yeah, um, you fucking lost. <laughs> but yeah, they've, they've, yeah. De- they've deleted egg and spoon. They actually. I'm gutted. I know more of that wonderful truffle as you put that spoon in. Ooh. And I always get out the smallest little bit every time so it lasts forever. And I get the egg and just go, no, nom. I think I'll have another. And then afterwards being like, oh, I feel so sick. I'm not going to lie. I feel like I kind of wish you hadn't told me because I didn't click on to the fact that I haven't seen them in the shops. And now I really fucking want one. Yeah, of course you do. Oh, man. Do you, always, do you always find that one cream egg is like not enough, but two makes you feel sick? Yes, I completely agree. And I will also say the new white cream eggs. I feel like someone just decided to go into my dreams and make one come true. I have yet to try them. I haven't tried those yet. Oh, I love me some white chocolate. It is my favourite. So that is, yeah, I'm with you. If they make a white chocolate bounty, I could just die there on the spot. I'd be just so happy. So that's the end of our show. Thank you so much for coming. (laughs) I appreciate all of your time. Uh, The fact that you eat coconut, mate, and and just bounties are... How can I describe a bounty? Like it's almost like they're the cold play of chocolate. Never fucking say that again. <laughs> Never say that again. Look, they're not I... nickelback where everyone thinks it's cool to hate them. They're the cold play of chocolate where everyone hates them. No. Fuck it. And a dark chocolate bounty small... especially. Oh. oh my god. I mean dark chocolate is great, but why do you want to spoil it with coconut? Oh see, I'd, if you give me some coconut, I will probably throw it at your head. It's vile and it has no taste to it. I mean but... don't throw it at my head, it'd probably kill me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not Roddy Piper. But like just coconut like in chocolate. Oh mm. no. It's like topic bars and star bars. What are you doing? Stop putting random stuff in. <laughs> Nuts, fruit, caramel, just fuck the lot in. Just get, it in. Just, get it, just get it in, Ben. Ben, I've told you, just put it in. I don't care. We'll put blueberries in next. That's actually quite nice. <laughs> All that <laughs> shit on it. floor that fell out machine, just shove it in. That'll do. It's almost like they went, what else could we do? Well, it's like a slow day in the office. <laughs> right, we've got we've got Snickers, perfect Mars, Milky Bar, perfect Smarties, excellent. They're probably Nestle, my bad. Um, then they're going, shit, we, we, we've done it all. We, we've done everything. What should we do? Topic, put fruit and nut in. Are you, are you sure, dear? But Put caramel in too. But are you, really? Yeah, you know what, bugger it, fuck it. Let's put some elves in as well. Let's let's have elf chocolate. It's a festive one for the kids. Mental, absolutely mental. I had a really weird recollection then of like a a white arrow. Yes, there is a white arrow. Yeah, they do at Christmas time and they are good. I love orange smarty eggs. Oh, fucking. And then milky bar eggs as well. It makes like every year, like. Fucking Christmas stuff's out already. Fucking Easter stuff's out already. But as soon as I see the Christmas and the Easter chocolates, straight the fucking basket. Give it, give it me yeah. now. <laughs> yeah. I'll I happily go homeless for these bad boys. <laughs> <laughs> How are you, Jamie? Are you okay? I'm very well. I was, I was also going to mention something about overindulging on food. Because me and, me and, me and the family, we went for a carvery the other day. 
What is it about the human condition that means we can't portion control on carveries? I saw a granny walk past and it almost looked like she needed support for the amount of food on her plate. I was like, yeah. every fucker does it. <laughs> no one has a sense of plate. You get the grand plate. You get the grand old plate, the big ass motherfucker. All the gammon. And you lick, but it's because you're hungry. That's the point of it, is it? You go, oh my God. I'll have mash, I'll have Sweden carrot, I'll have pasta, it's broccoli, I'll have cauliflower cheese, get some roasties on there as well with mash. And then you go, stop in, stop in, stop No one does that. Stop in, stop in, stop in, stop in, stop in. Stuffing is so underrated. It's like the greatest part of a meal ever. Stuffing is insane. But And then you're literally like, yeah, like you've just got Everest on your plate. You're like, this is going to be absolutely amazing. You've got to about camp or base one and you've gone, fuck, I can't eat anymore. But we do anyway, because we've paid for it, so we're going to eat it, and we'll just die for the next seven hours. Yeah. Or that's just me, because I'm a greedy fuck. But, yeah. Your, your ass is like, whoa! <laughs> <laughs> you have to be really careful when you walk. I can only bro, just keep all this inside of me. I'm so full. <laughs> I hate when I, it almost feels like gravy has come out your eyes. <laughs> When you're a kid, you should be like, I'm only this full, and you go to your knee. <laughs> when we eat carveries, it's like, I'm only this full, it's even taller than my head. Like, it's gonna just come out my ears, my nose. Um, yeah, carveries aren't great, and all the salt as well. I gotta have salt on there, boys. Oh, no, no, not a salt man. I don't add salt to my food, but you don't suck anything. I, I, I do like in cooking. But if I have like chips and stuff, I don't add salt to anything. Jamie Westwood. <laughs> Dry plain chips. Dry? Sauce with them or something? I just I just don't do salt vinegar and add in salt to my food. Never have. Dude. I'm on, okay. I'm one of them ones. I have to stop the chippy man when he goes to grab the bottle of vinegar. I'm like, whoa, 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 hold your fucking horses, mate. That's the greatest bit. And also, <laughs> I just want him to keep going. I hate it when they go. There you go. Like, no, 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 no. There's a mountain there, son, and you just squirted two drops. Like, fucking get it on there, all right? If I'm paying 10 quid for a bag of chips, you're fucking covering it in salt and vinegar. I've never known vinegar to be so fucking watery either. That's what it's like. (laughs) (laughs) Not again, Mildred (laughs) Foxy! That is like a surgery. You know, it's like suction, 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 suction. (laughs) I want that chip right there. (laughs) Amazing. (laughs) You have to dive in yourself to get it. (laughs) It burns my eyes, but it's so worth it all. (laughs) I think I'm crying, but I can't tell. (laughs) But I'll live forever because I'm fucking pickled. Oh, yes, pickled stuff. Oh, that's a whole other story. Gherkins and blah, blah. When I was in America, like, they literally buy a burger, you get a whole fuck up half gherkin. Like, oh, oh, absolute gloriousness in a little <laughs> cumber shaped thing. It's absolutely fantastic. I do love pickles. Yeah, I've never got the whole pickle thing myself. There we are. There we are. You're a heathen, my friend. I, I was going to say, I feel like I'm really disappointed this week, my food choices. But at least we know we'll never fight over anything. So that's very true. Win win. <laughs> I, I did want to ask another question this week. Remember how when I asked you why poo was brown and you sort of gave me that look as if to say, why do I host this show with you? 
Yeah. It's another one of those situations, I'm afraid. Because I was having a conversation with Claire, and I can genuinely not remember how the conversation got onto this. But it, we asked the question, what do you think it sounds like when Mr. Blobby comes? I'm so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Hang on. Let me just gather my thoughts a second. <laughs> I just... Right. Okay. I'm going to apologise for the um, absolute massive dead air you're about to receive. Um, <laughs> first and foremost, Jamie Whitehead, do I even want to know? I'm going to I'm I'm gonna have to indulge because, you know, because it's the show and people go on know how you came to this conclusion. Jamie Westwood, take me back. How did this conversation begin? I genuinely cannot remember. I think I just made a weird blobby impression and then Claire just went, I wonder what it sounds like when it comes. And then I just went off on doing impressions of it. But it does make me wonder. Does also, it actually know? Do you actually want to know what the sound is? Kind of. I also want to know what it sounds like when Mr. Blobby like tries to seduce someone. I just think that'd be really funny as well. So seducing, I imagine, would be blobby. <laughs> blobby. 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 I mean, blobby. Ooh, I'm gonna blobby all over your crinkly bottom. Blobby, blobby, blobby. <laughs> what is what is running around to what is running around destroying shit? Obviously, it's like blobby, blobby, blobby. So I would imagine it's gonna be somewhere in between. So I imagine <laughs> I can't believe I'm gonna do this. It's somewhere in the region of blobby. Blobby! Blobby! I'm gonna blob! <laughs> oh, the best ever thing I ever got told about somebody ejaculating, that's a weird way to start a sentence, is um, one of my friends, his brother, uh, got his missus broke up with him because as he ejaculated, he went, Pikachu, I choose you! And I thought that was the greatest thing I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> I mean, it, fair play, um, but yeah, I can see exactly why she went, yeah, we're done. <laughs> I'm all up, me too, fucking hell. <laughs> but I chose you. <laughs> so, like, that takes... I'm, I'm not one for, like, laddie pranks, but I, I, I did find that very funny. I'm not going to lie. Oh, it I is. just love that she broke up with him for it. Yeah. This is where you find out they were actually married and had kids and everything. She just fucked the whole lot off because of that one sentence. I just think it just... Because I'll be honest with you, Jamie, and again, I can't believe I'm going to tell you this as well, but when that's... My brain can't compute anything. Like, no. I can't think of anything. I can't amalgamate words together. I don't even know what the fuck is going on until I'm like, oh, Jesus, well, what the fuck is happening there then? Like, am I... Is this her? Like, am I am I at home? Uh, I wish I bloody hope so. Um, yeah. Sorry, Dave. Really... I don't know. I ended up in your living room, mate. I'm really sorry about that. You're up, Peter. Are you... Oh, I seem to. Oh, Peter. I'm so sorry. Um, I just. <laughs> I'm sorry about your cat, mate. <laughs> I just. Uh, I mean, I was definitely talking about him, but there we are. Uh, you that line, Jamie. You see that line? 
That, you see that line? He just danced all the way over it. He didn't give a fuck. He was gone. He were like Usain Bolt in the 100 meter sprint. <laughs> he was just like, see ya. She will have a selfie afterwards. Um, you're waiting for the finish, <laughs> the finish line to have a selfie with him. <laughs> That's where you were. Um, I can't believe that you've asked me that question. I, can. I can't even believe that was a conversation you had. That I can as well, to be fair. Claire Jones. We did we ask it about another fictional character as well, but oh, I decided to leave sake. that one off. Why? Baker from the Muppets. <laughs> <laughs> Sir, what have you been doing this week, Jerry? <laughs> yeah, it's been a good week, to be fair. <laughs> uh, what have I done this week? I've been to the cinema. I went to go see Ant-Man versus Wasp. Ant-Man versus Wasp. Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantumania. Finally got to go watch it. And it was really bloody good. It was also nice going to the cinema at 11 o'clock in the morning. It was quiet. I imagine, I've heard a lot of reviews, different reviews in regards to the new Ant-Man movie. I've heard a few people have really enjoyed it, but a lot of people have gone, they need to stop now. So, mm. I do want to watch it, but I'm, Marvel films, I'm not as keen as I used to be. I used to go on release day. I used to absolutely, yeah. could not wait for them to come out. And now I'm just like, yeah. I'm I'm kind of saying I really enjoyed it, don't get me wrong. But then I was thinking like when beforehand, like when they were all coming out, like brand new and I was like, I've got to be there fucking release day. That was the best thing ever. Oh my god. I didn't have that. I was like, there is that superhero fatigue is getting there. But I did really enjoy it. And the the after credit scene did make me go, Oh fuck, this this what's happening is gonna be good. So if they keep this momentum, I'm hoping it will get everyone's excitement yeah, back up so. again. You yeah. like to hope so, but I feel that obviously Cineworld are in like 150 billion pounds worth of debt, aren't they? Cineworld are done. Oh, are they? I didn't know. Yeah, they're closing. I think they're closing every store. Um, oh. Like, I just don't. There's just nothing good on anymore. I, there's mm. no. There's nothing that makes me go, "Oh my god, I come to cinema because it's streaming gets everything now." Yep. To be fair, all the trailers I saw, I was like, "Oh, it looks good," but I just wait for it to be. Come on, yeah, I'm not, I'm not. That, that literally the pandemic absolutely just. I mean, streaming has been around for ages, but I think the pandemic was the final on the coffin for cinemas myself. Yeah, I think it might have been like I, I think a lot of cinemas could now cope really well if they did like throwback movies, like have the opportunity to watch this in the cinema, come do yeah, watch, this is a marathon in the cinema, do something like that instead of just new movies because people just don't care anymore. Nope. Which is horrible Not to really. say, especially considering yeah. the amount of people we spoke to who make movies and stuff like that. But it's true. I think people would just rather sit at home and watch films, mate. I got Apple TV recently because we had a free trial. We were like, everything that's great. But then I realized just like how much there is stream streaming sites wise inside Apple TV. There's another like 10 channels, like 399 here, 4.99 there. Who's got all that money to spend on these fucking streaming <laughs> channels? Like, it's absolutely mental. I pay for Amazon Prime through my phone bill with Disney+. Plus, But then I got Paramount because I watch South Park. But that's the problem is they're spreading so much out now that you, if you want to watch something, you kind of have to go and get, like, fucking Lucas FM or whatever. To, you know, <laughs> I really want to watch Top Gun Maverick, but fuck, I need bloody, you know, classic FM TV. I, it's abs- uh, radios will probably start doing it soon. There's errors to radio anymore. Like it's the world is so different. It's, I used to love a Chris Moyle's breakfast show on Radio One every morning going to school. I used to love that shit. I don't want this to Nick Grimshaw. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good anyway. So I mean, and then 
I was talking to Karis. Sorry, I've got a massive spiel. I was talking to Karis's mum on Monday night about she doesn't listen to BBC Radio Two anymore because it's becoming too much like Radio One now. They're playing too many like new singers, but nobody wants that. Everyone, everyone wants nostalgia. Just yep. give us nostalgia and fuck off. Pretty much. Pretty much. Like I think today's society, when they look back on nostalgia, is going to be so weird. Because everyone just wants what was old. It's yeah, it's really weird. Yeah. Well, look at all the music now. It's just rehashes of stuff. Well, yeah, it's because it's shit music now. Yeah, pretty much. Pretty much. Yeah. Uh, anyway, sorry about but, that. You, you no, no, no. I was just say. <laughs> uh, otherwise, in music wise, I went to a gig. I went to go see Punk Rock Factory, and they were fucking so, awesome. Just quickly before you delve into Punk Rock Factory, I've just bought tickets for Cardiff. So don't hey. spoil too much, please. No, I won't spoil too much. All I will say is they are phenomenal. They are no. Superb. That's what they were. Absolutely incredible. It was so fucking good. Like the support band, say it anyway, I'd never heard of them before. And they just had the crowd eating out of their hands. So I was like, you've just gained a shit ton of new fans in this place. And the DJ set that Sean Smith was doing, oh, everyone in the crowd was singing along, like just playing those old like pop punk bangers. It was just a night of pop punk and fun. It was awesome. Yeah, sounds great. No, if anyone goes to Punk Rock Factory, go fucking do it because they they're climbing. Like Peach, the front man, said like this time last year we played O2 Academy three, and now we're in O2 Academy two. And then when they come back later in the, the, the institute, which is like an even step bigger, they're just going to keep growing. They're absolutely incredible, and they deserve it all the fucking success because they're amazing. I agree. And you can also go and check out my interview with Peach at Punk Rock Factory at Razor's Edge. Yeah. So go down over there. That, that was released this week. So yeah. <laughs> And other than that, obviously, I've re- been reanimating and I went to go see the kids. We went to Gloucester. And it was good. Day. Oh, nice. How, oh, you went to Gloucester? We went to Gloucester for that. Well, we went to the cathedral because we hadn't been to the cathedral oh. in fucking years. It was all right. It was a good day in Gloucester. Just walking around in it. But to be fair, the most um, hilarious part for me was Harrison deciding to give Sam energy drinks behind my back. That was interesting. He was hyped as fuck. Yeah, I bet he was. I mean, he does. Uh, the, sorry, just quickly. Remember the the rumours that there's bull semen in them? Yes, I remember that rumour. Yes. Why do people make that shit up? Didn't they also say about Sunny Delight as well? Yeah, it said you orange. Yeah. <laughs> I don't remember that one. I remember saying there's semen in it. I'm turning you orange. I think that's about turning you orange. <laughs> just use fake tan. Fuck it. Yeah, why not? That's what tango. Drink tango. But yeah, he was tango giving. Went, oh, cheers, guys! Look, this is a great idea. <laughs> But yeah, yeah, he sorry, kept giving he was, him sips. Yeah. He kept giving him sips of his can behind my back, and then I was just like, I caught him, and I was like, oh, "You little fucker!" And I've never seen that kid so hyper. There's a shop on the corner, like a McCall's <laughs> shop. It's got a subway inside, and at one point, he just went, "Subway McCall's, Subway McCall's, Subway McCall's, Subway McCall's, Subway McCall's, Subway McCall's." I was like, "What the fuck is he on?" Like, <laughs> never known anything like it. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> let me just say something. And this is why I don't, don't have <laughs> because fuck that noise. But me and Harrison had a realization afterwards. It was like he's going back to Lara's, so he ain't gonna deal with it. And I'm gonna drop him off home, and then I'm gonna head home, so I ain't gonna deal with it. So it's fine. Just let him, let him get hyper. It's amazing. <laughs> and we also you know, I just text you afterwards. Like, <laughs> fucking asshole. I didn't, I didn't fucking tell. I ain't stupid. <laughs> And we also went to a Weatherspoons for lunch, and it might be the greatest name of a Weatherspoons I've ever heard. It is so posh and does not belong in Gloucester. Yeah, the Lord High Constable of England. I was like, 
fucking name is that for a pub? <laughs> I've been down there in the old docks. It's a very nice pub, though. Very nice pub. I enjoyed that. And uh, so clearly a Weatherspoons because the toilets were so fucking far away. Yeah, I don't get that. <laughs> yeah. It might as well spend the Tetris thing <laughs> quite a like Labyrinth. <laughs> And then, like, hit, maybe Mario said, like, meow, 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 if you go the wrong to the wrong door or whatever. Like, this is the lady's fuck. <laughs> what about you? What have you been up to, my friend? Yeah. Um, so, Rihanna, and of course, um, I watched a movie on Sunday night called The Banker, uh, which is Anthony Mackie and Samuel L. Jackson. And it's based on a true story about how um, two guys, clearly black, were buying houses from under white people's noses in like only white areas and stuff. Like it was like white areas only. So they were, Nicholas Holt was in it as well. And he was like their front man. So Anthony Mackie was like this genius mathematician, like stone faced, like he's just the cleverest man ever. And Samuel Jackson was at the party animal, smoked cigars, drank all the time, didn't give a fuck, but knew the lay of the land if he was rich anyway. And they're like joined forces to start building, uh, buying buildings and houses and stuff for the black community and helping them grow. And because obviously back then racism was rife and they were being shoved in like dirty little areas with no money um, and that sort of thing. So incredible movie. Really, I found myself getting quite angry at points. Which I think is the point. Yeah. Um, like I can't imagine living back then, man. Like it's just so mental that that shit still happens now. You're like, really? Yeah. Um, but there was one scene in particular that I think it's in the trailer that I just absolutely pissed myself laughing at. Because I think Samuel Jackson's such a legend. Um when I, I hope I don't spoil this. I wanna make but he literally just goes, um, I'm sorry. Did I not wake up black this morning? Checked his hand and goes, "Yeah, I did. I'm still black." <laughs> I, I found it. I found it absolutely. I think it's worded a little bit differently. I think he says three different things, but it was it was so funny. <coughs> I, just, I have massive respect for that man. Like he's just such a funny dude. Oh, speaking of, speaking of Sam Jackson, did you see the clip from Iron Man that um, John Favreau released this week? No, it's from the original Iron Man movie. You know, the after credit scene where you meet Nick Fury. I think he was on like Jimmy Kimmel or something like that. And he went, we did a take of that that I literally did for myself. It was never going to go in the movie. I did it for myself. And it's literally, they show the clip and it pans in on Samuel L. Jackson. He turned around. He's like, who are you? He says, I'm Nick Fury, motherfucker. <laughs> I was like, yes. <laughs> uh, he, he, is, he is the pinnacle. He's such a legend, Samuel L. Jackson. Um, and then he got into acting when he was like 40 odds, like absolute yeah. hero. There's shows you should never give up on your dreams, ladies and gentlemen. Um, so Rihanna, I watched AW Revolution, like I absolutely loved it, absolutely loved it. Uh, we went to Keris's mum's for dinner on Monday night. We had a massive roast because we just really fancied a roast, and it was absolutely delish. And she'd made an apple and jam crumble. Oh my god, Jamie Westwood, it was insane. Ooh, um, that was amazing. Um, other than that. Not a whole fat lot. Um, I haven't I haven't watched Daddy or Last of Us this week yet. Um, so I'm gonna watch them at some point. Um, other than that, we did an absolutely amazing interview last night, um, which is obviously out next Friday. So very excited for all you Father Ted fans out there. Um, 
Joe Rooney's on the show next week, so we're very, very excited to release that. Um, and obviously, we've done a, a couple of I did a couple of Razor's Edge interviews. Um, I did one last week on my own, and obviously, we've just done one before recording this. Yeah. So, yeah, uh, and I'm going to go speak to the old Braden at Stay Cozy tonight. Oh, speak of the devil. Oh, oh segue. Is there a segue tonight? Oh. Is there a segue there, Jamie? I think there might be. All right. Is this thing on? Well, howdy doody, everybody. This is Braden Berry from Say We Can Fly, founder of Stay Cozy Clothing. Your one-stop shop for the coziest, most fashionable hoodies, t-shirts, and more. Gorsh, Mickey. That's right, folks. And we're proud to say that we are now sponsoring... The Chronicles of Podcast. Ouch. Hosted by Tom and Jamie. <laughs> like, you can get 10% off, man. That's right, Shaggy. Just use the special code, The Chronicles, at checkout. Oh, boys. And I will forever say it, and I will say it every week without fail. The greatest advert ever. Absolutely. Cannot deny that fact. And Jamie. In years. I believe it's segment time. Time for Callum's Treachings. Here it is! Do you want to know something? Callum will be able to tell you in Callum's Treachings. It's cereal soup. Ooh. Callum is back once again, folks. He is going to treat the Nazione. So, ladies and gentlemen, shall we begin? I think we definitely should. Jamie. <laughs> yes, sir. What is Callum Treachinos this week? Babies become wireless when they're born. Fuck! <laughs> okay. Now that's something I would have never would have ever put together ever in like, the history. How the fuck did you come up with that, Callum? I need to know the backstory of this. And I've just realised. You know the maternal and paternal instinct. You know when your no. baby needs something. No, you know of it, the myth of it. <laughs> Does that mean they're also Bluetooth? Oh, <laughs> Alan, is is that true? Can can you treat <laughs> us some more in the in the ways uh, of babies? But yeah, that is so true. It's, it's they, oh, do you reckon that's that's obviously where Apple got their idea from? Apple went. <laughs> oh. Like the CEO had a child and went, oh my God, I could make wireless headphones. I could literally just make pods. I call it pods, fuck it. His wife's just like, do you always think of fucking work? Yeah, probably. I imagine when they're in the Apple factory, there are people who put the wires in, he goes, no, 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 no. That's the umbilical cord, Susan. We don't need it anymore. <laughs> we don't need that. We literally just want the little, the little head. And we're going to call them pods, yes. Yes. Not the, what's such a weird name? Why do we call them pods for? They're I just don't... headphones or I earphones. They come what? with a strap. You can buy a strap for your pods. Is that so they don't fall out? It's, it just makes them headphones again. <laughs> what? It's literally, it's literally so you can wrap them around your neck if you're not using them. So it just makes probably... them headphones. Yeah, I guess it's well, the I, I think it's because people don't like new things, so they don't can't get used to it. It's like how you don't get a charger anymore. But yeah, and you're just like, dumb. What? I don't. I I don't get this whole new and inventive way shit. Like, stop doing it. 
If I want 10 chargers, I'll have 10 chargers. I don't want I've got start... a kitchen drawer for to store 10 chargers. Yes, a man drawer, Michael McIntyre. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I just, just stop messing with stuff. We don't need this new technological advancement. Like, soon, they're going to start plugging your earphones in your fucking head or in your ears or whatever, like, surgically implant them. They're like a chip that, like, goes into your bloodstream and you can just hear everything anyway. Ridiculous. Baby. Oh, there we go. Cocoa melon on repeat for the kid. What? <laughs> Cocoa melon. You're not a parent. You wouldn't get it. Don't worry. Trust me. Oh, Cocoa so- melon. Sorry. Cocoa melon makes me wish I wasn't a fucking parent. Let's just put it that way. Sorry. Parents joke only here, Tom. I'm going to fuck off. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, I'm going to make a little inside joke about parenting so he won't get it. There's <laughs> all the mums and dads listening to this again. <laughs> Cocoa melon. Oh, shit. He'll never understand. And all of us are like, <laughs> yeah? <laughs> no, your life is richer for not having to suffer baby shark. Don't worry about it. Oh, it's wonderful. Do you know what, Jamie? I can watch whatever I like, whenever mm. I want as well. It's wonderful. <laughs> this, this is, I can record whenever I like. It's good. Well, so I'm not working, but still, I don't have to wait until a certain hour of the day to be like, all right. <laughs> We should move on swiftly. Yeah, yeah. What bastard. else, Jamie, is Callum treating us this week? It would be quite difficult to explain to the tax man that a genie granted you a million pounds. It's on fire this week. <laughs> I love that. I love that. It's like, any other income? Uh, um, um. So you might want to sit down for this. <laughs> So what happened was, uh, I found this lamp in a tiger's mouth at the side of a bit of sand. And like, I jumped in and I flew on this carpet, but there was lava everywhere. And my pet monkey was really trying to help me steal stuff. <laughs> it's just like, uh, sorry. All right, man. Yeah, no worries. And he just fuck off like, excellent, it worked. <laughs> security, security is a fucking nutcase in here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what I'm going to do is I'm going to refer you to what we like to call the institution. Oh, <laughs> what's that? Not something you're going to be very happy about. Let me put it that way. What size are you in white coats, just out of interest? <laughs> but I'd love it. Like, the carpet just walks in. I'd be like, the, the monkey's there. And he's just like, oh. <laughs> Yeah, and also, I, mar- I married a princess, you know what I mean? Uh, <laughs> He's got a pet fucking albino tiger. <laughs> how would you? I'm trying to remember, how would you fucking explain that? I think you just have to say it was a gift. <laughs> I don't know how she can. Oh yeah, but what was it about? Who gifted from whom? <laughs> from uh, uh, Blue Man the in Sultan? the <laughs> Oh yeah, weirdly, he sounds like Robin Williams. <laughs> Like, I find that so weird, do you? <laughs> but if you wait several years, he suddenly sounds like Will Smith. It's really weird. <laughs> <laughs> what, 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 how would you do that, though? Like, you'd, surely, the thing is, though, if you declared it, surely you wouldn't lose that much anyway. Well, mind you, it's a tourist in it, probably like, wonderful, the tax is about a million and two pounds. Wait, what about, what's the two for? No reason. <laughs> Quack off and all that. Did you know tax the Tories? What a callback. <laughs> but yeah, 
I wonder how you would explain that. You, you, you'd have to. You'd have to because you're going to fucking prison. Yeah, you're going to have then to declare it. But they think you're mental because obviously you got it from a genie. So, <laughs> what would you do, Jim? Would you would you give them the story and go to the institution, or would you actually declare? She'd have. I think I'd have to declare because if I'm put in an institution, it'd be no good to me anyway. So I might as well just lose a little bit. What's the point? Uh, oh my dad, my father-in-law, he's a sultan, don't you know? Of Agrabah. Where is that? I don't know. Nobody knows. <laughs> anyway, I, I was just asked to go get it by some mad bastard of a parrot. All right, I don't fucking know. It sounded like Gilbert Godfrey. Um, anyway, and finally, Jamie, and finally, get yourself together, son. <laughs> what is Callum treating us this week? I don't know about you guys, but even if I had got a letter for Hogwarts, there is no chance my parents would have opened it, believed it all, let me go to London to run against a wall to get onto a train platform. Like, what the hell? that's because callum your parents are muggles they don't understand but saying that there is wizards with muggle parents so yeah they they must have done that you're gonna have to explain this one muggles Muggles and non-magic folk though we are muggles but hermione her parents are muggles she's not born as like got a witch family so yeah that must have been a really weird conversation so what do you have to do sorry what's it about oh it's a school um it it goes over a bridge in scotland oh so it's in scotland is it i I think so but i believe that the cathedral that it's in is in england in gloucester so i'm not entirely sure (laughs) why i have to go over a bridge so so first let's let's break this down michelle let's break this down first so you need to go to a special school by going to London out of nowhere and running through a wall. Yeah. And the platform isn't a whole number. Yeah. So basically, there's this thing called fractions uh, <laughs> where you can actually have a number like a third of or a quarter of or whatever. <laughs> that makes sense? Oh, okay. Okay, Brittany, calm down. Okay, that's fine. Okay, so run through a wall, wizarding school. Interesting. It was delivered by an owl. <laughs> Well, yeah, yeah, owls are real. Yeah, that's right. That's a good point. That's a good point. I don't realize they delivered mail though. When they start looking for raw mail, oh, you know, probably Thursday. Um, you know, because the people are striking, so they have to find some way of getting uh, let everything nailed down. Parcels must be a bastard. Um, okay, so when you've run through this, what like what actually happens? I don't know. There's a weird shopping trolley. It's like half in the wall, so I'm assuming it's there. But the trolley's stuck, so that concerns me somewhat. What do you reckon, ma'am? It's okay. Let's let's just break this down. So the train then goes over a bridge in Scotland. So you have to go to London first, get a train all the way up England, all the way through Scotland to go over one bridge, to come all the way back down to the other side of the country to go to a cathedral where this is called Hogwarts, apparently. Why is it so big? Why does it sound like a pig with some form of disease? This is such... <laughs> I'll tell you what, Brittany, this is a very weird letter to receive that you'd have to scale pretty much the entirety of England 
and Scotland to come back to England. Oh, yeah, well, whatever. Here you go. I love the fact that's the part you can't get your head around the most. Not running through a wall, not an owl, nothing. It's just the fact you've got to go up to go back down again. I'm glad I got the owl right. I wasn't sure if it was an owl. I was like, I know there's an owl in it. No, you got it right. Uh, it was an owl. Oh! <laughs> He's slowly learning all the memes. I hope this joke works. <laughs> I don't forget, you've also got to go to London to go to shops that no one else can see behind walls in London. Uh, okay. Didn't someone open a closet? Yeah, Harry does. He lives in the cupboard under the stairs. Oh, okay. Yeah. Quite cramped. It is very cramped. <laughs> oh, and one of my mates can speak to snakes. There you go. <laughs> so, I mean, we're learning all sorts of things. Yeah, so Callum, I completely agree with you. Yeah. I think that my parents, well, my mum would be like, the fuck? I'd probably just like throw it away. Or she'd take the piss and laugh about it and show it to me. Your mum would read it and go, <laughs> fuck off. Yeah, probably, yeah. <laughs> Bless her, she's so loud. She's so funny. And that was another edition of Palin's Tree Chains. Oh. Yeah, they were okay, fucking great this week. I'm really intrigued as to how we came up with the baby idea, though. That, uh, <laughs> that was what I really would like to know about. If is, anyone listening always... to this is a midwife and doesn't use that line any in the future, I'm going to be really disappointed in you, just so you know. Here's your Can baby, now wireless. Can they actually... <laughs> I don't think they could actually do that. Could they? The, the mums are on so much drugs, they're not going to remember it. It's fine. This is a very good point. <laughs> this is a very good point. But Jamie, after stellar treachings, I now have to follow this. Yeah, you do. Come on, baby. Time for Tom's journal. Read to me. And welcome to another edition of Tom's journal. We shall begin. Jamie, are you ready? Yes. A conversation between people and the Catholic Church. (laughs) Catholic Church. No meat on Fridays, folks. Okay, so no eggs for breakfast then, yeah? Catholic Church. No, eggs are okay. Folks, but eggs are chicken. Catholic Church. Not not until they hatch. So the thing isn't the thing until it's born. Catholic Church. That's correct. Oh, no, wait. (laughs) 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 I like that. I like that. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, nice little. Sneaky. That doesn't mean any explaining. (laughs) 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 Oh, Jamie, do you know what? I'm so glad that I learned about hexagons in school instead of how to do my taxes. It's really fucking handy during hexagon season. <laughs> hexagon season. <sighs> You're right, though. We need to... life skills, people. Teachers of the future. Life skills, not fucking geometry. Yeah, it's, oh, it's yeah. mental. What did Spartacus say when the lion ate his wife? Nothing. He was gladiator. Fuck's sake. (laughs) Oh, we do love a dad joke around here, boys. We fucking love him. That was fucking good, but to be fair, I did like that. (laughs) Did you? Did you really? I did. 
fucking awful, fun. but I did like it. The word homeowner has the word meow in it. Good luck pronouncing it correctly ever again. You're welcome. Ho meow no. My daughter just called a cemetery a person garden. I'm not even sure what she thinks is happening there. <laughs> See, garden. <laughs> Although, when you're in a garden and you bury things, they grow with something new. I don't want that to happen in a cemetery, please. How <laughs> oh, could you imagine? Oh, the walking dead is real. Fuck. Yeah. <laughs> This, this really made me laugh. This is the shit I do. So, a delivery driver just asked for my date of birth. I said, oh, 94. He replied, is that 1994? Oh, sorry, mate. No, my bad. It was 1794, right around the French Revolution. <laughs> that is the most you fucking think ever. <laughs> it's that when people go, oh, it'd be about four o'clock. Well, no, no, of course, in the, in the morning, melon. Like, in the <laughs> afternoon, sorry. Oh, my brain completely fucked. I went, I, I went what time's what now? When's, when, when's that? When's that shit? It's like, I'll give you a call about three. Like, in the morning, like, no, of course, in the afternoon, you fucking moron. Yeah, I was going to wake up at fucking three in the morning to give you a ring for no reason whatsoever. People are fucking stupid. I know, tell me, right? Do you, Jamie, do you remember these days? This is a conversation between a father and son. Son. Dad, so how did the developers update the games if you weren't online? Dad, well, son, you see, they didn't. If the game sucked, it sucked forever. Son, vomit. (laughs) 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 Do you remember games that just weren't a game and you could not... Nothing happened to it. That was just yep. the game. That's just how it was. You couldn't even save it. You just nope. play it until you turn off and start again. Yeah, and then you had got memory cards. That was the other <sighs> thing. But you had to find save points. You couldn't just save it wherever you wanted. I remember those days, boys. I remember my N64. I would stick a memory card in the back of my controller. Those are the days. What? Yeah, the memory card for the N64 went in the back of the controller. That's insane. Yeah, it was weird. <laughs> I remember, I think Sonic 3 was the only thing I ever completed on Mega Drive. I never finished the first or second one, ever. I remember completing Super Mario 3 on the NES. I ended up leaving my Nintendo one for days to do it. I was like, pause, go to work, go to school, college, whatever. I never finished. I don't know, finish. I think I did finish Super Mario 3. I think this is Mario 1. I got to the eighth world, the final world, and I can never get past like, the second or third level, ever. You, you, you get past the bit you got stuck on, but you just follow the game on for fucking ever. Like you could yeah. never get to the end. <clears throat> Jamie, the... sorry, Cole. It's because like back in the days where you couldn't even Google walkthroughs or anything on what to do either. Nope. So... Oh. oh, the frustrating times. In every partnership, Jamie, there is a person who sacks the dishwasher like a Scandinavian architect, and a person who sacks a dishwasher like a raccoon on meth. You're the raccoon on meth, aren't you? No. Really? Actually, yeah, this is you. No, you're not. No, I'm not. Keris is so a raccoon I'm... on meth, isn't she? So what I've just found out, Jamie, I've just found out without realising myself that I'm a bit of a perfectionist. I didn't know. You <laughs> so didn't know? 
It kind of hit me. No, I, honestly, I swear to God, I never realised until recently, and I was like, oh, shit. I, I fucking told you that years ago. That's not good. <laughs> that's not healthy. <laughs> but, you know, if you want things done right, then... Uh... <laughs> there we are. There's the fucking catchphrase right there. <laughs> Jamie. Do not seize the day. This will startle the day and may cause it to become aggressive and give you a nasty bite. Instead, approach the day calmly. Without making eye contact, pet it gently and slowly enfold into its careful embrace. If the day shows any signs of resistance to being engaged with, it is likely to turn on you. Back off and return to bed. <laughs> so Avenge Sevenfold were lying that whole time. Bastards. Sneeze the day. Um, <laughs> Just like none of it. Embrace the day. I'm going to end on this one, okay? Because okay. this is this has got Jamie written oh, all over face. My boyfriend is washing the dishes right now. I've heard him say, "Who do you work for? Who's your contact?" While repeatedly pushing the glass underwater. At least he's having fun. <laughs> <laughs> so fucking well. <laughs> What's worse is I know I'm now gonna do that. I just know it. I think to be fair, I thought that was genius. I'm like, that's that's just got Jamie written all over it. <laughs> I remember when I last pushed a wine glass into the sink, it broke and sliced my pillow open, so I don't tend to do washing up anymore. <laughs> that's why I've got nightmares, Jamie. <laughs> <laughs> but that was another edition of Tom's Journal. We'll give Jamie a moment there, boys. No, I can compose. You sure? I'm composed. I do believe it's time to bring in that piece, Jamie. Should we bring the piece oh, in? Go on, bring it in. Welcome to the Chronicles of Kip Vandenhuvel. To sing the national anthem right now, for some reason, Miss Cindy Lauper. This is an incredible interview, ladies and gentlemen. Kiff is an American character actor. He's a voiceover artist. He's, he does it all. He's absolutely phenomenal. And this is genuinely one of my favorite interviews we've ever done. Like, I discovered Kiff because I started watching Young Rock and he plays wrestling legend Pat Patterson in it. And I was like, this guy is great. He just, he portrays Pat so well. And I was just looking him up and I was like, he's done fucking tons. And he's been in so many amazing shows. Like, we got to talk to this guy and talk to this guy we did. Oh, this is... If you're a fan of impressions, he also voices over on video games. He's also in The Crudes. He is in This Is Us, in The Blacklist. He's in so much NCIS. Uh, this is the interview for you. Jane. Oh, excuse me. I'm excited again. Jane. Yes, sir. I full on burped on water. <laughs> Any final words at all? Just a massive thank you to Kiff. Massively appreciate you coming on this show, sir. Oh, this is just a doozy, as they say. It is a doozy, boys. It's a lengthy one as well. So sit back and fucking enjoy. Ladies and gentlemen, here... We go! Ladies and gentlemen, interviewing this week 
It's Ladies and gentlemen, today we bring you another incredible guest. Today's guest is an incredible voice actor and character actor who's worked in video games, TV, movies, you name it. A man who came to my attention with his amazing portrayal of wrestling legend Pat Patterson in hit NBC show Young Rock. Boys and girls, please join us as we welcome the man with possibly the greatest name we have ever interviewed. We bring you the chronicles of Kiff Vandenhoven. Oh man, Jamie and Tom, thank you so much for having me, guys. No, it's an absolute pleasure, Kiff, to have you here. So um, I suppose we should really get into the real nitty gritty, the things that everyone, everybody listens to this will want to know straight from the off. How was your pandemic season? I know it's kind of still here-ish, it's, yeah. but the last few years. Um, I, I've been, it, it's, you know, it's, I've been, we were, first of all, we were very lucky not to lose anybody in our immediate family, uh, from, Excellent. from COVID my, my wife's extended family did. Um, oh. but, um, but you know, I mean, it, it, everyone lost, we all lost a lot. Um, but we also gained things and, uh, you know, for me professionally, I'm so grateful that I had this microphone. And mm. uh, had a booth and was able to record from home and prepared to record from home. Um, so my and I just booked the Crude's family tree. Uh, I play Grug on the show and I booked it. Literally, we did the table read on March like eight. Uh, so things shut down on the 10th, if memory serves. So, you know, I book a series regular on an animated series and uh, pandemic shuts us down. And you're like, I don't know what's going to happen. And DreamWorks, fortunately, was able to um, find a way to thread the needle. And we did it via Zoom with self-recording. And then um, uh, the Screen Actors Guild made it possible for certain studios to apply, you know, very stringent policies and whatnot, but to get actors into the booth. So I was able to continue working throughout the pandemic without, without stop. Um, and then Young Rock. Uh, so it was, you know, um, again, this is all professionally, but like, you know, so... I did some games, several games. I did some e-learning. I did commercials. I did trailers, voice matching, all the things that I typically do, but just just from home and had to really up my game with Pro Tools, um, with having a better sense of how to use that software. Um, mm. Not that every voice actor needs to use Pro Tools, but it's still something that was really helpful to learn that skill set. And then, uh, yeah, and then Young Rock came to me in the second year of the pandemic, and, and that was due to... Uh, you know they how they were shooting in Australia because Queensland just had a had just completely locked their borders. Um, so after you did everyone coming in would quarantine for two weeks, and then after the quarantine was done, it was basically Queensland was just a big bubble. Um, so we were able to to work and and work safely, and and um, COVID really didn't strike us until they opened the borders and, and Omicron hit at the same time. Uh, but that was season two of Young Rock, and then season three we just shot in Memphis uh, this past year. Uh, I so have no idea that was shot in Australia. Yeah, yeah, isn't that remarkable? Yeah, I mean it's <laughs> it really is crazy. Like both the first, both first and second seasons were shot there, and it doubled. You know, it was it's a brilliant place to like double Hawaii and then also Memphis and Pennsylvania and Miami. Like you have all of that accessible in the Gold Coast. Mm -hmm. Like you really could, you could. There was so much we could do. Um, so they had just finished Elvis right when we started. Um, season two at the same studios uh at uh yeah like Leg not legacy what is it um roadshow village roadshow so uh yeah it was amazing uh, I, I, what else yeah go ahead, go I, ahead. I, I love is one thing we get a lot on this show is 
because obviously the pandemic, everyone was like, oh, it's horrible, it's negative, which it was, do not get me wrong. But yeah, the amount of people that say, like, yeah, it was bad, but I did this, I did this, I got to do this, I got to yeah. do this. It's great yeah. hearing all the positivity. I, it yeah. always warms my heart. <laughs> yeah, me too. I mean, it really speaks to the resilience of people. And I, I was thinking about it this morning. Uh, I forget what, what started the thought process, but it was about, it might've been politics or something, but like when having, getting, getting hit with something sort of perceptibly horrible and then how we accept and pivot, like there's an element of grieving that um, part, part of grief is figuring out how to uh, be like, like Bruce Lee said, to be like water, like there's rocks and obstacles that come down our path and our job is not to get blocked like like ice uh in front of it but to be to melt and be like water and move past and around those obstacles and accept them and take them in as part of your part of your story and how it strengthens you and how it moves you forward i just like did a series of headshots with this brilliant photographer here in los angeles named david zaw and I had a casting director back in Chicago who had said the best time to get new headshots as an actor is to get them after a significant life change. And like, when you think about it, we've all gone through a massive life change with the pandemic, with the lockdown. You know, I lost my mother last April, like we, um, and I've been on young rock shooting and got a tattoo and like all these other elements of, of change and major life changes that going in and taking pictures now, like the crazy thing is when you, when your agent sends out your headshots and if you've put on weight or, or you're just different than like those pictures get accepted. And then you're like, Oh shit, I gotta, I gotta rise to, uh, how am I going to suck my gut in it? But these pictures capture me in my truth right now. And there's a confidence that comes with it. And like for, I mean, for anyone who's listening, who's interested in, in any aspect of the performing arts, stage screen voiceover, uh, name it. Um, honestly, confidence is the, is the currency of our business. You know, I mean, you can, you can be moderately talented, but if you have a lot of confidence, you'll go very far. Uh, so, but, but I, but I also feel like, um, that's, that's the X factor for you might really be a vulnerable, wonderful actor. But if you freeze up in auditions and you don't have the confidence in that space, it'll be really, really hard to work. So it's finding that balance of building your confidence with experience um, and also, you know, just internal work. There's a great um, sports performance psychologist named Don Green who uh, specializes in building confidence. And it's really, really uh, powerful and helpful work. And it's uh, made a difference in my life. So anyway. There's my uh, my short answer to your long question. <laughs> <laughs> so take us back, sir. Take us to the days of young Master Van den Heuvel. What did you originally aspire to be when you were growing up? Oh, I wanted to be an actor. I mean, um, I, I I like to I like to blame um, what was it? It was either Star Wars or Ghostbusters. <laughs> like all, all, I mean, all these movies are like you know, they, they craft and pivot your story. Right. So like star Wars just made me want to be a storyteller one way or another. And then I discovered that I could mimic, I could do voices. So I could do the voice of Yogi bear and Daffy duck. And uh, I couldn't do bugs bunny until I got much older, but like, like, you know, and they're kid impressions, but it's still like around the dinner table, cracking people up. And then I put it together really um, in junior high where I was like, I want to do this. 
And growing up where I grew up was like, there was no, there were no templates for anybody. I'm from Grand Rapids, Michigan in the U S and there was no template for getting out to do this work um, from, from there. Uh, Grand Rapids is, um, uh, I say it's like a little, it's like a little valley of Christian reform conservatism um, that, that I was laid into this nest and, and that was how it was built. Like it's, this was a community for all of, you know, all of our, the previous generation to nurture and build the kind of place that they would want their children to grow up in. And we did. And I was like, I got to get out of this nest. This is not a place for me. And as an extrovert and as someone who loved to perform, um, the real main option for me was either being a teacher or going to the pulpit. Um, and I had two grandfathers who were ministers in the Christian Reformed Church, two uncles. So like, they were like, you are really lining up for the ministry. And I was like, yeah, but I, I like Eddie Murphy too much. I don't, I don't think I'm the right, I'm not cut from that fabric. And I felt, I felt like if, if, you know, and I'm still, I converted to Catholicism just so, you know, my wife and I could worship the same place, but like my feeling on it was, I, I, I we have plenty of preachers. Like, if you want to have people of faith in the industry, I, I'm, I'm, I'm happy to go do that. And it's not like I'm going to go make Billy Graham movies or whatever. I want to make the stuff that I've been a part of, but I'd, I'm more interested in, in being, uh, you know, having the fun and doing the work that I love to do, but also being a light and being, you know, like if the idea for, 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 for true Christianity, at least to, to me anyway, is just to, just to be a light um and uh and and love and model that and then go have fun and uh, i think a lot of people disagree with me but uh, but but that's fine um i just feel like that's that was my calling and direction that i wanted to go and my parents fought me on it man like i i had to harbor my desire to do this work um and keep it pretty close to the vest because if i revealed it then it was like oh it's a godless babylon and you can't go and do that and this is not a place for you. And you're, you know, this is, you know, we're just worried about you and your soul. And, uh, you know, so, so I learned to keep my mouth shut. And, um, and then when I was in high school, did the plays, um, did it worked with a company called the Pine Rest Players, where I grew up in Cutlerville. All this is, well, this is the point you're interviewing me. So it's fine. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Go for it. Uh, <laughs> Pine Rest is a mental institution, a Christian mental institution in Cutlerville, Michigan, which is where I'm from. So my father worked there for his entire career. My mother worked there for many, many years, like on the switchboard, but then also designing banners and things. My grandfather was the chaplain there. It was Cutlerville is the, uh, that that's the industry there is the mental health um, facility. So part of that, they had an outreach program called the Pine Rest Players. And what we would do is take case studies from their outpatient services and role play those characters, but we would go to community events. So we would go in, let's say a church group wanted to do a thing and the Pine Rest players come in and then it would just be an improvised panel. So it'd be me and my dad started doing it as well. And he would play my father and then a woman would play my mother. And, and then we would role play about like how my character is using drugs and is heading on a downward path and and the message being not the drugs but the parents responsibility to connect like what's what where are the points where these these people aren't connecting to each other and then giving the uh, the audience opportunities to ask 
leading questions or to try to understand things better. And then we would role play based on how we had studied these characters and their scenarios. It was great. And it taught me so much. I never anticipated that, you know, doing this little outreach program in Cutlerville, Michigan was going to help me as an improviser, as an actor, as a listener, as um, just as someone who has, it helped me build my empathy at a really important time. So, um, so all those things factored into it. And then um, I started doing a, as a family, we had gone to the Epcot center, gone down to, you know, uh, Disney world. And there was a, a company that was doing street theater in the world showcase at Epcot. And in, and I only know this because I heard it uh, talked about on another podcast that that was how this originated. But um, one of the shows that they were doing was this little show called Dennis the Menace of Venice. It was a 10 minute street performer, one guy with a few wigs. And that piece made such an impact on me that I made my own version when I got back home and like started performing for church groups and weddings and, and, uh, and that kind of stuff in the community. And that was my side hustle. That was my job in, in high school and college was kind of emceeing, you know, newlywed games, just kind of being like the, the, uh, the, the guy in the community who could do that stuff. Um, and, um, so then when I got to college, I started to pursue it a little bit more aggressively. And, and my teachers at college, I went to Calvin college in Grand Rapids, uh, made it really said to my folks, like, not only does he have the skill and the drive to do this work, but there's nothing wrong with this work. Like, stop believing the lie that, that, that it's not a viable, uh, career path for people of faith to participate in. Uh, that's nonsense. So support him if he wants to do it. And that was when things started to turn around and I started, yeah, man, great teachers, but like trusting, trusting, uh, yeah. Wow. It's, it's interesting. I'm putting something together now about literally in this moment of like the advantage of going to a Christian university at that point and have it validated from inside the inside the tribe you know of Hmm. no it's okay to go outside the bubble um if i had gone to a state university or if i had gone to someplace else that message would not have been as well received by my parents as they did from where i was so uh yeah there you go the the mesh uh completes uh even more so so there you go thanks for that guys i appreciate that I, i love that though you say like there's so many different inspirations that led to you doing what you're doing. Star Wars, oh, Ghostbusters, The Finger, Epcot, The Men. Like, it's a, that's amazing to have all these different inspirations. And it makes sense why you spin so many plates with voice acting and improv and all this sort of stuff. Yeah, but man. I would, you were talking about your grandfather earlier. And, and yeah. I, I read somewhere, I can't remember it was, I read it online, saying that you used to go into your grandfather's study and play with his recording equipment and that's sort yeah. of where your love of voiceover came from is that right yeah yeah he had um he had a this is back this this doesn't date me you know i'm 52 uh so so this is the tech that we had and he had he had 70s tech so it was like not cutting edge but it was like it started with just dubbing tapes like making mixtapes for your friends it's dual cassette deck, but he noticed that he had a microphone input and then a mic. So I started screwing around with the equipment and figured it out and b- would bring blank cassettes from home and record and start playing with my voice and doing impressions, doing impressions of the, of the radio guys, WKLQ uh, 
in Grand Rapids, their morning zoo, doing impressions of their characters and, and then dubbing some music and then coming in as, as Bruce Springsteen, like just doing a bunch of, you know, just playing. And, um, and it started that, that was really where I started to learn about Mike proximity and like, you know, that kind of <laughs> stuff and the things of like how you can, I, I'll be right there. How you can make that sound like there's, you know, there's proximity effect when you're off mic and then on mic. So like just learning a lot of technical things just became kind of innate. And then, um, and then the other part of it, I can't like uh, that, that was other, another really formative time was um, when I was living in Cleveland working at the second city and the theater closed and we had moved there to work at that theater and the theater closed and we still had time on our lease. Um, so we couldn't just pack up and go. Well, Detroit is about three hours away from Cleveland and I never dropped my representation there. So I would drive to Cleveland to, uh, to Detroit and back. So it was like a six hour round trip of just driving and smoking and drinking coffee or diet Coke at the time. And then, and then just doing impressions uh, to myself, talking to myself, reading billboards, um, ear prompting off of the radio. Uh, what, what that is, what ear prompting off the radio is to, to build the, the, the prompting skill is put on like a talk radio station and then repeat what you hear about three syllables or four syllables after it's said. And then kind of shutting your mind off and just kind of echoing it. Uh, that skill is extremely helpful for if you got to do a 10 minute, like uh, you're standing on a turntable at auto show and you got to give a presentation that's 10 minutes long and it's really challenging to memorize. You put it, you record it all, record the script on a little tape recorder and then uh, plug a little headphone in and, and then you can ear prompt it. You just repeat what's there. And uh, that skill got developed while I was driving and, you know, help me make some money when we were in Chicago, when I first got started there. So like all these things feed each other. And it's about, to me, it's about uh, being open to receive what you, you are communicated at from, from the universe, but different things that are interested or that sparks you. And so there you go. But that's uh, yeah, that was, yeah. Grandpa's equipment and his pipe tobacco and a stopwatch and jackknife. Like I just remember all the stuff in the desk. Like you could make a VR game of that spot and I would be completely happy just to sit and screw around with a, with a windproof Zippo lighter and a pipe. And yeah. I was just gonna say, I feel like everyone had that phase of like pretending they were a radio host at some point. Like right? me and Tom were talking about it like a couple of days ago, even not saying wow. these amazing story about throwing socks in the air. Like it, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's just amazing that everyone wants to do that at some point. It feels like. There's something about there's to me, it's like, it's about being heard. You know, like we listen to things that are broadcast. We make assumptions that just because someone's on TV or on the radio that they've, that someone vetted them and said, go for it. Yeah. No, what you have to say is valuable. And, uh, you know, now you guys know you've built your own podcast. No one gave you permission. Like, you just went out there and did it. And once you put it out, you're suddenly an authority because your, your voice is broadcast. But like a college radio, I couldn't believe it, that it was that easy. They just gave me a show. And I was like, you're not going to vet me. I have no experience whatsoever. Like, that's what this is for kid. No one's listening, but go for it. But then you, but then, but then it's uh, goes back to what I was saying about confidence, the confidence to say, I have something to say, now, whether what I have to say, you think is valuable or not. 
who cares? What matters is I've got a channel. I've got an opportunity to amplify myself. And I think that you start and having the accessibility of it with TikTok, with Instagram Live, et cetera, makes people, um, you know, yeah, there you go. I, I think, but I, but I do think at its root, it's about being heard and being accepted by the tribe, man. Um, you know, and being being listened to and agreed with or validated or whatever. Yeah, absolutely. It's, yeah, it's spot on. Absolutely beautiful. This is fucking fantastic. Um, <laughs> so you were, I read that you were an alumni of, you mentioned Second City, Cleveland, yeah. um, and Detroit as well. And when I yeah. read it, I thought it meant that you had to um, graduate in Cleveland, then graduate in Detroit to be able to work uh, in those states. But obviously, that's not the case at all. It's just that you just work both. But Yeah, um, that's a really, that's a great distinct. It's a distinction that's so internal that um outside it's very confusing so i appreciate you reflecting that back to me because that makes a lot of sense i understand what you mean what yeah, i cut you like, off with your question <laughs> no you're all good you're all good um so obviously improv so you say like you did your radio show and everything and you did the, the things with the, at the medical center where you're doing like improv stuff like that is yeah. an insane skill to have because improv is so difficult because obviously people just go oh you go oh, give me a name give me a job uh, what are they doing or something? You're gonna go boom, just just do straight up in the off. Like, how long have you been doing that for now? Well, quite a while, I imagine. Yeah, about 30 years now. I started Incredible. in college. Started in college. The thing is, the thing is, though, man, it's not hard. It's not. It's we're improvising right now, and we're oh, playing. Our, we're playing our roles. All it requires, all you need to do to improvise, is. And so this is pretty obvious. I teach it as well. So that's why I'm like, all right, freeze. Uh, so here's what's going on. Um, uh, imp dude, improv is, is three skills. It's agreement. It's agreeing to not deny. And it's, a, it's a, you know, in, in the context of an interview, it's impossible. But, but in the scene, you just try not to ask questions. So like that's that's really all you need to do. The the cornerstone of it is that we are in agreement of a virtual thing that we create. If I take this ball, this is, and I say, this is a red ball and I throw it to you through the screen and you catch it. You've just agreed with me with the reality of not only the size of the ball that I built, but that I threw it at a certain tempo and you yes handed the, uh, the energy with which that you throw it. And that little exercise is no different than the audience going, give me, then you saying to an audience, give me a name, give me a profession, give me a location. And what are we doing? And then I just, I'm just agreeing. And if, if you go, okay, Kiff, your name is, you know, Dr. Fitzroy and you're a doctor and you're about to operate, uh, go, then I just, you know, I take on that, that, you know, specific action of, you know, what it is. And, and it's just, it's, it's honestly, it's not rocket science. It's just, it's just playing because we all, it's inherent, it's inherent in all of us. We all did it when we were like five or six of like, Oh, we're going to play doctors now. I'm maybe not doctors. We're going to play, uh, we're going to play cops and robbers. All right, cool. We're going to play cops and robbers. And all of a sudden we got mass and we're walking around like robbers. It's the exact same thing. It's just giving ourselves permission to commit to the play. And when you commit to it, it's super easy and really, really fun. But the other skill set that's really important, I think that will improve your longevity is your ability to listen. That's the other part. It's like, you really need to listen to your partner. And that's at the heart of, of all acting as well. But you know, let me unplug the Alexa so we don't have someone chiming in. Uh, like uh, you have to um, really listen to your partner and respond. And the best improvisers are the ones who will like pick things out that the audience doesn't get. 
and 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 amplify those things so that the audience is like completely blown away by their attention to detail in their listening. That's really at the corner, I think, of the cornerstone of what you see with with great improvisation. Um, but yeah, with uh, uh, just a sidebar with the alumni, what what that term means internally within Second City is that like there's a training center and you can graduate from the training center and then you're considered a graduate. But if you're an alumni, meaning that you wrote main stage reviews. So at second city, Detroit, I started there and I, uh, and I was on their main stage cast. So we performed, you know, seven nights or six nights a week. And it was, you know, it was, uh, just straight open-ended paid acting gig. Um, and at Second City, we would improvise to write. That was the intention. It's like we would improvise during the day. And then the best scenes that we came up with through improvisation, we would write down and put that into our show at, at night. Uh, so we did, uh, did three reviews while we were there. And then when Second City Cleveland opened, uh, because I had taught there and was an alumni at that point, they brought me over there, did two reviews when it closed. And then when we moved to Chicago at that time, it was like, I've done five reviews um, I'm, I'm interested in pursuing other things I'll teach. And then I also started teaching a uh, voiceover class there, um, just cause I was, you know, destroying in, in, uh, in voiceover in Chicago. And then, um, and then I also directed the touring company. So that's, that's, and then when I got out here to Los Angeles, just been working with them, you know, for the past 11 years as well. Do you ever have time to like breathe or eat or live? At all? Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah it's, the, it's the, it's the gift of Los Angeles traffic. Uh, (laughs) listen to podcasts and relax and when you get there i mean it's you know i'm i've i'm i'm fortunate man i've packed i've packed a lot into into uh this career but i i love it man and i'm a i'm evangelical for it i think that there's room for everybody if it's just a type of work that that strikes you i mean we're not in a we're not in a four network or three network world anymore like it's there's there's so much content. There's so much content. And if you're interested in it, and look, voice actors and actors and all the people who are doing it are retiring every day. There's it's there's always room for new people. We want new people. And um, so so I, I just I encourage folks to like get into it. And, and if it's something that you're passionate about, you know, I, I, there were no resources like there are now when I was growing up. I had to figure out everything on my own. So being able to share what I've learned and if people find a, an ace they can keep in that, then as far as I'm concerned, that's a win. So, so how do you go from improv at Second City, all the work you're doing there and everything, to working onto TV? Was that a conscious decision to move into that sort of work or did it just sort of like you get offered something because of what you were doing elsewhere? Mm. Well, when I got started in Detroit, my talent agency there, uh, his name, uh, it's, it was affiliated. That uh, was the agency. Um, they it was a small enough agency, and Detroit was a union town because of the auto workers. They also were a union as far as actors were concerned. So the Screen Actors Guild had a had an office there, and it doesn't take very long if you're working in a smaller market to get to join the union. And that was what happened. The majority of the work that I did while I was in in Detroit was industrial films, internal training for Ford Motor Company, internal training for for GMs, uh, for General Motors, for Chevrolet, um, but then also regional commercials, local commercials. And then if a feature comes to town, it happens rarely, but it does. And it would be like an all hands on deck. Everyone gets an audition for it. 
Um, so that was how I got on camera was uh, Billy Crystal's movie 61 he shot. And I got cast as like Detroit fan number two and my scene got cut out or whatever. But it was still oh. like I got on set. I got on set and it's fine. It's it's fine. I, I mean, I did another movie, a Bruce Campbell. He groups Bruce Campbell had a small role in it, uh, but it was called Time Quest. And that was my first picture. Um, but the when we moved to Chicago from Cleveland, um, the Chicago market was a little bit bigger than Detroit, a lot more commercial and a little bit more on camera TV and film. And I did more on camera commercial work there. Um but but couldn't really crack a lot of theatrical television. And ultimately what moved us out to Los Angeles was the notion of like, you know, we want to see how high we can jump. Um, so let's 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 go to L.A. and see if we can crack into on camera and getting repped was really, really hard. And I, you know, I was like I said, I, I was I was set in voiceover and doing very well. But on, on camera it was a really tough transition to make. And, you know, uh, an agent took a chance on me and brought me in and I booked a couple things. And then I got management, booked a few more things and we changed agencies and started booking more things. So over the course of time um, here in Los Angeles, I've been able to accrue a lot of great on camera television work and film work. Um, but that's been, you know, kind of on the back of, of getting, I think, behind the candelabra was really the show that that opened a lot of things up for me that in Parks and Recreation. Um, when those two jobs happened, um, it made it a lot easier to to start to get, you know, uh, get seen by casting directors and mm. get cast. So, yeah. You mentioned then about Time Quest. So, <laughs> what, what can you remember about filming that, though? Because, you know, being oh, on man. a set for the first time, that must have been nerve wracking. No matter how small the role is, you're on a set of a movie. Well, I'll tell you this. Like my first on-set experience, I crewed for two seasons on a TV series called Christy for CBS. Hmm. Um, and it was a show starring Kelly Martin and Tyne Daly. And I, I got that job. One of my professors from Calvin, like, had built a relationship with one of the executive producers. And they he used that relationship to get me hired on as a work as a local hire and 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 work uh, utility sound on a TV series. And that was my real education of being on set, understanding the rules, understanding the set etiquette, um, understanding my place in the hierarchy as, uh, as an act, as a, as a essentially an assistant to the audio department. So I was, I was a production assistant, but, but a technical one. So a lot of cable wrapping, a lot of miking, uh, second boom, that kind of stuff. And then I put the, I put the ADR booth together, uh, in a couple honey wagon trailers in Tennessee. Like it was a matter of really learning what it, what it's like to be on a, on a set of a big show. I mean, LeVar Burton was on our show, John Schneider, who else? Scott, uh, Delta Burke, like a lot of, a lot of names from, you know, in particular folks who had elevated during the nineties, but but I mean, Tyne Daly is a legend. So, uh, so that experience really prepped me for when I got to Detroit and was working as an on working as an actor on camera. Then it was like, oh, I I know where the sound card is, and I know who the grips are, and I know what this equipment does, and I know um, what the process of miking is. And I'd watch the actors be prepared, and I had like one or two lines on Time Quest. That was it wasn't it wasn't intense at all. So it was like. And, you know, it was, it was an independent production. Same thing with 61. Like there was, 
there's elements of the set experience that are universal. Um, so that made that those spaces, even on Young Rock, feel so much more comfortable. And that, again, coming back to confidence, like I talked, like having that experience on set, walking on there and knowing who to reach when you get to set. Like, I got to call production, someone from the production team to let them know I'm here. If they didn't greet me, I got to track them down. That's on me. So like that, that kind of knowledge is something that really makes a difference and keeps you present and confident as you're working. I think that's something that's valuable. Anyone who wants to work, I think you should at least, you know, work as an extra once or twice just to get a feel for the sound and the smell and the atmosphere of being on set and where you can go and where you can't, where you should and where you shouldn't. No one's, it's not like college. No one's telling you you can and can't go anywhere. It's just, people just look at you. (laughs) So it's like, it's nice to, you know, figure that out. Stay by your trailer, stay by hair and makeup. Uh, They're your friends. Stuff like that, though, that knowledge is invaluable because you're okay. working on a production. You make a good impression that 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 person works in another production. Oh, we need to go. I know a guy. He was so professional. He, let's yeah. get him in. He was great. You know, yeah. it's yeah. Dude, I, I mean, I just for this headshot session that I just did with Zaw, like I called our, our key makeup artist from from Young Rock for this last season and reached out to her. It was like, hey, I'm getting headshots. You know, would you come and do me and I'll pay you? You know, and she was like, yeah, man, absolutely. We're all in L.A. So it made it super easy. It was just it was great to reconnect. But again, it's about it's about building those relationships. And, um, you know, it's 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 not just a relationship. People go, it's a relationship business, but it's like you guys are friends. Here you are doing a show together. It's like it's the same thing. Like you work with people that you want to work with. And, you know, sometimes you're in front of the camera and sometimes you're behind and. And, uh, and it's, and it's all about finding, you know, finding people who you really enjoy creating with and, and continuing to broaden that circle. Like, um, 10 years ago, I reached out to a bunch of voice actors who were all buddies of mine from my talent agency and, um, and, uh, started a show at Stan Lee's Kamikaze called voice NATO. And it's, we're just do like a live con impression show. It's a combination of, uh, uh, short form improv plus um you know voice matching and doing adr and doing it live and just having just having a blast we've done it 10 years now and like that they've become my my tribe of of actors and everyone when we started like none of us had any credits of note like the one guy who was like known for something was fred tattishore who had done the hulk so we were kind of like you know fred now we put our, you know, a palm, uh, the, uh, the uh, PowerPoint presentation with everybody's credits. And then every year you'd watch everybody's credits, like get like embellished and more embellished to the point where now all of us on there, it's a total murderer's row. And it's so exciting to like have been along these actors and to have grown together, you know, even though we only play together once a year, it's still like this, it's really special to, you know, to, to, uh, to witness that. It's amazing. I mean, you're enthusiastic and your love for what you do as well. It really comes through every time, you know, just when you're talking now, it's just like, I'm feeling that, you know, the excitement. I'm like, oh yeah, I want to go and like do something now. Like, guys, I'm actually going to go now. This has been great. (laughs) I was just thinking, I was like, I could do improv. He's right, you know, it's easy. Yeah, yeah, you can. Don't be a dick, but you can. Like, (laughs) That's the guardrail. That's the electric fence. Don't, don't be, don't be an asshole to your, to your scene partners. That's how you make great scenes is like, really listen, really. Like I remember judging a cage match in Chicago 
And it was like four improv groups doing doing uh, four 10-minute sets. And then we would give like adjudication at the end of it. And I remember one group, and they were killing. But it was like, it was six guys and two girls. And the guys were funny, um, but they were they were gunslingers, man. They were just, they just steamrolled over their partners in particular, their female partners. And like, uh, I was one of three judges and two of the judges were like, you guys are so funny. And oh my God. Da, da, da. And I, and it came to me and I was like, you guys, I was like, you guys are funny, but the way you improvise, you should all be doing stand up because the way you treated your female coach cope, your, your female ensemble members is an embarrassment. Like if you're not listening to each other or treating them with respect, you have no business sharing the stage with them. Don't bring stand-up energy to, to improvisation. That's not what the what it's not the essence of the work. It's really not. Villa Spolin created it for the purpose of taking veteran actors and student actors and putting them in the same space so that they could work on a Shakespeare play together. But but the challenge is student actors are just learning, they don't know. They don't know the terms. They don't know how to find their light. They don't know upstage, downstage. Maybe that's the extent of what they know versus someone who's been working for 40 years who knows everything, who is telling ghost stories. You know what I mean? So like Viola Spolin created a language that was centered around play. It was called improvisation. And that's what her rules of improv are. It's to get everybody into the room and here's the rules. Yes, and don't deny, avoid questions. And now we're going to play small improv short form games so that we can all find common language and common experience. And now we can work together moving forward and we can use that language. That's, that's the intention behind Viola Spolin's, Viola Spolin's improvisation for the theater. So when you take the form and then reject the idea of I'm going to support everybody, it undermines the, the whole point. It's some other, it's some freak uh, abomination of the idea. It's just basically, you know, free form, ruleless yelling, and and it's and if a scene emerges, uh, good for us. But generally, it doesn't, and it's just a lot of crass people who don't have the discipline to do uh, do stand up, getting up and shooting their extroversion all of an audience to to happy applause because the magic trick. There's no magic trick to it. It's just getting up there and just being obnoxious. Do, take a stand-up class. I'm, I'm, you know, I, I don't, I'm not trying to take anything away from their gifts, but I do feel like if you're going to be in a group sport, you got to learn how to play like a group. That's the, that's the challenge. So, so there you go. Uh, there's my, there's my rant. Once you cross, once you cross 50, you get a little crunchy. You care a little bit less about what people have to say. We might have to just edit in a standing ovation for that. Just, uh... <laughs> Because that was magnificent. I was just like, I was never going to come up here. And now you see why my parents wanted me to be a preacher. So, uh, (laughs) (laughs) but you know, uh, you know, uh, like I said, I I get to, I I love this work. I love this work. And this, this work needs, needs a preach, needs an evangelist in it. I mean, go on, Jamie. No, no. I've I've asked so many questions. Have a go. (laughs) Your TV features are nuts. When I was going through your IMDb, I'm just like, oh my days. Parks and Rec, like you mentioned, This Is Us. He did a voice on Family Guy as Sheriff Woodley. NCIS, one of the greatest TV series ever, The Blacklist. Oh my days. I love that show so much. 
Um, yeah. Mosquito Coast, that's on my list. Have I watched that at some point as well? You know, obviously, what if you've been in Young Rock? Like, it's just insane. The, the, the back catalogue is absolutely monumental. That, like, even though you're only playing, like, I'm on, I'm on two episodes, I'm only on one episode or whatever, just being in that realm with those people on those sets must be memories for days. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, dude. Absolutely. I, I, I love it. I love it. There's no place else I want to be. It's the greatest place on earth is to be on set. I mean, you know, and like, and I do have like really specific memories of a lot, like the NCIS, like the coolest thing of that one. Like, so here's, here's some internal stuff. Like, and you hit on it, like working a day on the mosquito coast or two days, mosquito coast was great. That's like, uh, cause that was the first episode um, and we were getting ready to go shoot it. And I got invited to the, to the table read. That doesn't always happen for like, I can count on one hand, the shows that I've been invited to do the table reads in, like oh, wow. obviously Richie Rich is the series reg and, and young rock, because it was a heavy guest star and recurring and stuff. And we always did, I did it right here in, in this chair and this computer for like table reads for while we were here and they were in Memphis or in Australia or wherever, but like, uh, going in person to table to getting invited for the NCIS one, where it was like, I had one line. It was a walk and talk at the beginning of an episode. Um, but they still thought enough to invite me to drive out to the production office. And then I'm standing, I'm there a little bit early. I'm at the table read. There's like one or two other people. And then my, my dear friend, someone I met at second city, um, here in LA, Deanna Reasonover walks in and she had just booked, uh, she was at that point the recurring guest star, but she was made the series regular as the new medical examiner. That's Deanna. And it was her first table read. So it was like to be there together, like I'm standing there, like not knowing anybody. She walks in and she was like, oh, my God. So like big hugs and all this other stuff. And then she's she becomes like the newest full time member of the cast. And then Mark Harmon is like the kindest man. He like came up to me and put his arm around me and welcomed me to the NCIS family and like. When I was in the makeup trailer, he came in and was like, so we'd really, it'd be wonderful if he could sign the episodes, like sign this stack. There's like 20 scripts of today's episode. Um, we just, we collect them um, to like donate to schools for fundraisers, for fans of the show. Like if you ever, ever, if anyone ever, if you ever need anything, please reach out to the production office. We'll happily send you stills autographed stuff to be able to use for silent auctions to support things like that's the community of ncis how great is that right that's like and it speaks to it speaks to the legacy of the show and like every time i've tried to i've very rarely been in a position and i think with the crudes i would have done that if we were in person to be able to spearhead something like that because uh how great would that be um but uh yeah so uh i don't know man like like there's a, a film called Danny Collins where I got to work with Al Pacino for a couple nights and, and Batman versus Superman, just working with Zack Snyder in Detroit and um, uh, meeting like meeting Rami Malek and Denzel Washington on the little things. And uh, God, Rene Rousseau and Jake Gyllenhaal and Nightcrawler like they're like, and Annette Benning was in, uh, I didn't even work with her and Danny Collins, but I went in for like just a wardrobe and makeup test. Uh, while we were shooting it and she happened to be in there doing a wig fitting and was just, she didn't need to say a word to me. She was like, Oh, hi, what's your name? Who are you? Welcome. 
what role are you playing? Oh, it's a great role. It's lovely. This is a wonderful crew. And Fogelman's great. And Dan Fogelman was terrific. He went on. He was our director for Danny Collins. And he went on to, to create uh, This Is Us. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's it's funny. I, I like I the, the memories come out as anecdotes for stories. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, but, uh, yeah, it's 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 the best. I still like as and as much fun. Like I still have to say, like Young Rock is of uh, of sets to be on. Like just the greatest because our ensemble is so tight. Like we're 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 all really really close friends. Like last night I was hanging out with with Uli who plays adult Dwayne and Kevin Makeley who is uh, who's Macho Man. And uh, so the three of us were out at Tamo Shanters having a I had uh what is it um a rare bit uh Scottish rare bit and uh a pro- we were at a proper Scottish pub pub last night and and uh oh it's just fantastic um so like I'm with these guys all the time not only on set but like you know back here um so as I said before this is a relationship business and if you're lucky to be able to maintain relationships from working on productions uh, it's the greatest gift ever you know, and I've been really fortunate to have that with both Young Rock and with the Croods. Do you have any like? Is there? And try that one again. Failed at English right there. Um, no doing roles in these shows. Are there any shows you wish you'd like were able to spend a bit more time on or go back to? Mm-hmm. You had like such a good time on set with people. Oh just, man, there was the Parks and Recreation set was a complete and total blast. Um, Amy Polar just the sweetest person so generous and um and her comic mind like like just to give you a quick anecdote like we were doing a big town hall scene this was uh, i was recurring on the show and i came back and we did a pass on the scene um a couple times and i was she was giving me a line and i was responding to her and her line was kind of accusatory and then I responded in kind and and then she like paused and like left the set for a second. And I, you know, I'm, I'm across the room from her at a microphone and it's filled with extras. Everybody on the show is there. Rob is there. Adam Scott is there. Like um, Aubrey Plaza, like the full cast was on stage. And uh, but she came back and and had clearly talked to the director and made a choice to to completely change the energy of how she talked to my character. And it was just it was just interesting and experimental and fun. Like it was a really amazing set to be on. Um, uh, like part of it is like people who I worked with, who I would love to be able to spend more time with. Cause I just enjoyed my brief interaction with them. Like Renee mm-hmm. Rousseau, like Matt Damon. I had a great time with Matt on, on behind the candelabra um, uh, Pacino um, and like, and then directors, man, like Fogelman's amazing. He was a terrific director to work with and just like so excited. Like that's the other thing is like the perception of a director so often is like the guy in charge and sort of smoking a cigar and sitting in another room. But like so many of these guys are just as fired up, just as excited to be there. Um, Can't believe that everything is coming together the way it is. Um, And I honestly, I give my eye teeth to go back and do some more Richie Rich too. I mean, that was, that was the greatest just madcap, insane, uh, no stakes. Um, so much fun. I love working with all those kids on that show. Amazing. 
I can't speak English and he keeps sneezing. (laughs) So as I mentioned earlier, you know, you've, and you've mentioned yourself, great lasting career in voiceover work, mostly with video games. How did you get into the realm of working on video games? Oh man. Moving to Los Angeles was a, a significant part of that. When I was in Chicago, there was a little bit, um, EA had a, had a presence there, but then they closed the office shortly after I got into voiceover there. Um, so I got into like one Marvel game doing some background stuff. Um, but when I got to Los Angeles, that was when more of the LA is just, there's just more theatrical opportunities. That's it. There's like less commercial stuff. There's not necessarily less commercial. There's still plenty of commercial work, but, but the amount of the, the amount of, um, theatrical voiceover work that comes to you in Los Angeles versus some of the other markets is pretty substantial. Uh, It has a lot to do with casting directors and relationships with agents. So based on the nature of my relationship with my agent and their knowledge of like my desire to get into video games, um, I started to see more of those auditions. So um, I, I did book my first video game was midnight club three dub edition and that was a motion capture job and i booked that out of detroit so that was the first gig and that was rockstar games wanted authentic people from the towns that we were doing racing from so they brought in a kid from atlanta they brought in a kid from detroit and they brought in a kid from san diego and uh and they flew us all to new york and we went in the volume and put on the the ball suits and did motion capture for a racing game. And it was amazing. Rockstar was incredible to work with. Um, But then, you know, when I got to LA, that was when I'd see a considerably uh, more type of work that was like more stuff like The Walking Dead, more stuff like Bioshock Infinite, more stuff like, um, you know, the Telltale Batman series, Um, just just more, you know, wonderful theatrical, the Spider-Man games, all that kind of stuff. Um, so, so a lot of it, so it's funny how like getting into it is tied much more to who you're repped by and, uh, and what market you're in. Um, and, but that in truth, that's why we came here. We came here to do more theatrical work. So, um, you know, I'm just glad that, uh, been able to be considered for it and, and to book it, you know, um, that's that, but that's, that's really it. Uh, is there, is there, are you guys in VO stuff? I mean, what's the scene like in London? I mean, I'm nowhere near London. I'm in Wales, so I'm oh, okay. See, this, side of the, uh... my my ignorance of your country uh, stands true to my Americanness. Uh, <laughs> it's all it's, it, I, love, I love that though. Literally, people either think that you're from London or Australia. I was in Colorado about four or five years ago, and uh-huh. I was at a bar and I was just having a drink and I was talking to the, to the bar lady. And the girl next to me went, oh, my God, what part of Australia are you from? And I was like, well, I'm not. But, uh, I mean, yeah. if you want, I can put the X in. If you want, I can talk Australian if that makes it any easier for you. Yeah, mate, we can all talk Australian, eh? That'd be great. <laughs> Good on you, mate. But with, with your BO stuff, um, I mean, obviously, you were Walter in The Walking Dead Season 2 for Telltale, which I, I love those games. And obviously, the rocks on for Spider-Man and that sort of thing. Do you get given a brief like this is what we want the voice to sound like it was like yeah, off you go just give me a voice and let's go with it 
Yeah, sometimes there's sometimes there's a description of what the sound is kind of like. They'll give you an idea in terms of pitch or tone. It's like this is a deeper voice or a rougher voice or a medium sort of baritone, uh, that kind of thing. And a lot of times it, it varies game to game. And it depends also on what you're doing. Like often the more explanation, the more important the character is. Like if it's just like your soldier number four. Uh, <laughs> that's all you need to know is your soldier number four. Get down, grenade! You know, and then maybe you do a pass where it's like, get down, grenade. Uh, he's international. It's Russian. Get down, grenade. You know, that kind of stuff. So so it's about, you know, just doing sloppy impressions and getting through it. Uh, not sloppy. Uh, you know what I mean? But like, I mean, trying trying to make it swing so that ultimately it doesn't take the player out of the game. That's always the goal is my my job is to be in service to the story. And if you're playing Call of Duty and you're doing like a mosh pit, on a, with a bunch of, you know, railroad cars on a boat. If my bad dialect takes you out of that game, I have no business in that game, right? Like is my, my job is, is serving the story that the participant is in. I'm part of the wallpaper. So that's, that's, that's the job. And if the wallpaper is too bright or too vibrant or too paisley, you're like, what, what's wrong with that wallpaper? Um, then, then, then I'm not doing my job. So like, but then, um, you know, p- p- like learning to read video game scripts is a big deal. And it's something that I teach in the voiceover classes of like, you know, sometimes you're going to get scripts that come in an Excel spreadsheet because of, because of the asset management. There's like, let's say you're playing a game like Call of Duty and there's going to be three pages for the cinematic where the character is like, Listen, I was left behind by my team and and now I'm coming to get revenge on those bastards. And you're going to, what are you talking about? Like all that kind of stuff, right? That's that's the cinematic for the scene. But yeah. then, um, and that's written in screenplay format. So you can see the dialogue, you can see the action, you can see the other characters. But then the Excel spreadsheet is for call outs, for wallet, for like all the things that the character might say during the course of the game. Now, sometimes you'll see it in dialogue too, where they just, it's just like producing an interactive title that is 20 hours of content is a massive undertaking. And all of the voiceover bits, all the performances are boiled down to elements. So, so in truth, when a producer is recording you, it's all about asset management. You're just trying to record stems that you're going to plug into the game and the game engine is going to run. So having it organized in a, in an easy fashion, I, I'm happy to to rise up to the moment for a for a producer who'll go okay for this line here where you're talking you're warning people to stay out of the pit, even though it just simply says agitated. So then I might do a series of three on that line where it's like, hey, you get away from there. Um, you know, you give them three separate takes on that, so they'll select and say that's my one for that bit. It sounds agitated, but it's also. So you're really reliant on the voice director to give you context when you're dealing with that. In an animation or a script like that, so much of the context is on the page. So it's like, oh, the slug line tells us we're in the family treehouse and everyone's there and we're all sitting around the table and Uga's bringing some food and Grug says, you know, something stupid or is eating his hands. But the context is all written out for you versus in a video game script. Often it's, there's no context at all or very little, or you just have to know how to read Excel. Uh, and then that helps you get through it. And the other part of it is cold reading. Cold reading is really, really important because with video games, you never get the script in advance. All book jobs, 
I will literally book jobs and they'll be like, okay, so for Ramonfard, uh, your book tomorrow. I'm like, great, Ramonfard. No idea what that is. It's, uh, <laughs> it's the man's name. Uh, you go to the studio and they're like, okay, so this is Far Cry. And you're like, whoa, Far Cry? I didn't know I was in Far Cry. It's like, well, you are. And you're going to be playing this character. And you're like, oh, sweet. Um, so like you, but because of NDAs and all that other kind of stuff, because in the past people have been like, you guys are not going to believe it in two weeks. I play X and so in this game called far cry, perhaps you've heard of it, you know, and people just completely losing their shit on social media, revealing games that haven't been announced. So mm. like, that's, that's, that's the problem is like, you know, and my take on that early on with, with NDAs was like, it's not my story to tell. I'm just part of the. I'm part of it, but I'm not the thing, you know, people aren't tuning into the walking dead season two for me. They're coming to get the continuing story of Clementine. So like, it's not my business to get out and share plot points and stuff, even though people are like hungry for it, you know, it's like, it, it all comes back to story again of like, I'm giving you the story outside of the context, even though you're hungry for it. It's so much better to experience the story in the context, the way the creators intended for you to do it, you know? Rather than watching deleted scenes, I want to see the I want to see the Snyder cut. I don't want to see the scenes that were cut out, right? I don't want to make my own. Like like when Ridley Scott released Gladiator on DVD, he released his director's cut alongside the theatrical, so you could see the stuff that made it a far better movie versus after what the studio trimmed out. Yeah, still old injury. <laughs> so with your voiceover work you've done quite a few recognizable voices like han solo woody yeah. in family guy obadiah stain for marvel's what if like how did, did you have to like audition for these because you've said before yeah. you're really good at doing impersonations was it a case I, of we need an obadiah stain can you do yes i i every job that you see on there i've auditioned for i auditioned for everything I, and and the volume of things I've auditioned for that I haven't booked is legion. So it's like part of that is just is part of the process with with voice matching because I don't I mean I don't at the risk of going too humble about it and like I'm a midwestern guy with a baritone voice with a lot of control over it and a really good ear. So if I if I you know like if I go into Nicolas Cage I know first of all uh, there's um, there's a there's a phrasing and a music to his particular dialect. Uh, it's breathy, but also back of the throat. So then, also if you just pivot into RDJ, so Robert Downey Jr. not really that far off from Nick Cage either. Uh, a little bit less breathy. Okay, so uh, also that like okay, so is like my my key in that valley thing. But then you know Harrison Ford is down here. So, you know, the music is totally different versus Tom Hanks. Hanks is, you know, he's just, he's open and just a very, you know, generous spirit. Where's Vince Vaughn? Who's up here faster, quicker talker, right? Like in this spot. So like, it's, it's all of those characters live in different spots in my, in my voice and, um, and knowing how to, how to access it. It's literally like figuring out, it's it's physical so like if, if you're in a gym and you're doing legs you're working your your lower part of your body so like for me vocally harrison uh jason stifum 
uh, who else down here? Right, Winstown. Right. So like all those live in the same pocket, but then there's just little pivots that get you into that spot and there are rotations. So then your your ear helps you sort that. But then again, also microphone work and spending the time in, you know, grandpa's studio doing doing that. Um, just it's I've been I've been I've been working on that craft and to be able to slip between my entire career. And I didn't start doing voice matching until I was in my forties um, professionally, because I mean, I would have loved to go on to Saturday Night Live, but impressions weren't something that we were really doing at second city. That wasn't the kind of work that a lot of my castmates wanted to explore. So I just didn't. And, and then I kept that hid that under a bushel until I was in Chicago. When I got into Chicago, I kind of started doing impressions and people were like, what, where did these come from? I'm like, yeah, so I think the first the first voice match thing I booked was a series of demos as Owen Wilson for for Chili's that never end up coming together. But yeah, I'm going to Chili's. That was like it was basically, you know, <laughs> sounds literally magnificent. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. It's thank you, Maven. Doesn't tell me and Tom love watching people do impressions. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that yeah, the best. Just, <laughs> it's great, it's just... but like, it's the greatest party trick ever. But then the other part of it too is like. Most of this work is very, very subjective. You could watch a movie and walk out and have vastly different opinions of the film. But the one thing of this craft that is not subjective is impressions. You either sound like the guy or you don't. And people, everybody is an expert. Everybody's an expert at going, what? That's not Al Pacino, that Al Pacino shit. But then you're like, well, no, that's Al Pacino in Heat. That's not Al Pacino in, you know, my Al Pacino is, Al's, you know, here. My Al Pacino is sort of vapid, kind of a cross between uh, Son of a Woman, Al, and Heat. Look, I don't know what you want from me, you know, that kind of a thing. But um, versus Al Pacino and The Godfather, very, very different. So it's just a matter of, of where your strengths are. I can't do young Harrison Ford, but give me Harrison Ford, Force Awakens and After. We were being hunted, uh, you know, not versus the versus, you know, my buddy AJ Lacasio does a perfect young Harrison. And it's like Harrison through the Indiana Jones films. Um, and Scott White does them really, really well, too. There's a lot of guys. There's, there's not a lot of guys who really nail them. There's a lot of guys who can get close, who could do like a gruff, get off my plane, that sort of thing. But like, but trying to get the nuance that's the other part of it. And, and the part that I feel really comfortable and confident in is like, there's the impression, but then there's all, then there's the matching aspect of it. And matching is not just doing the voice, but what you do with it. Mm. So, you know, Harrison, like it's a magic trick to do Harrison's voice. But then when we were doing call of the wild, I was going in and doing voiceover for him and, you know, talking about, <clears throat> where is it? Um, it's my son. And we have to go far far beyond maps you know like so fi figuring out how to do the voice but then play him i've got to act as well as harrison would act so that that requires um a different set of skills of really being emotionally available and then playing through the mask of the character and that's what the crudes is about that's what animation's about like doing like my favorite episode is is uh is daddy daughter day of 
of the Crudes family tree. And there's just, there's so much pathos and longing and feelings of loss that are and warmth and joy in it that like it was it was really emotional to do and i'm doing it all through the mask of grug and uh it's just it's just really satisfying you know same thing with pat you know with pat patterson like there's i get to do a lot with that character and you're you know i started by listening to his ring commentary and hall of fame and induction speech and and that kind of stuff and and you know, and and not leaning into the French Canadian aspect of his dialect, mm. uh, because he learned he learned he didn't speak a word of English when he came to the states. So when he got to Boston, was where he learned English. So his English is tinted with a bit of a Boston dialect. So um, you know, so when I was doing when I was my way into Pat was always never not smiling, always smiling, always gregarious. And, uh, you know, kind of talking like Quentin Jaws, you know what I mean? So it's this kind of a thing, but that that's, you know, that's it. Um, so, um, that was, that was kind of where I began. And then, um, and then we would play. I was going to talk about young rocks. You just sort of segued for me there. That was great. Oh, good. That was a bit of teamwork. <laughs> I enjoyed that, but you do an amazing portrayal of Pat. Thank but- you. How much did you know about Pat? Were you a wrestling fan like before you got this role? Yeah, I was a wrestling fan from from growing up. So I didn't know about Pat. I knew about, I pieced out on wrestling probably around maybe the fourth WrestleMania. Like I was really into it up until the, not because of like, like uh, Hogan body slamming Andre, but like that was the period of time that I was really into it. You know what I mean? Like, early to mid eighties. And then I was out. I, I missed the attitude era entirely. I only recognized stone cold, Steve Austin and the rock from people's t-shirts. So I was aware of who they were, but I didn't really watch it. So, um, but then getting in, then getting the opportunity to audition for the role and then really learning about who Pat was. Um, like the, the crazy thing was like, I was like, okay, he's a commentator. I got that. I didn't know that he was the the first openly gay wrestler uh, that until um, until after I had done the audition, I wasn't aware. So I played him very much like, you know, uh, the, the sides, um, the sides were not specific about who he was talking to. So I didn't know he was talking, you know, like, like that kind of stuff. It was still very much under secret. Um, so I just kind of just committed. And then like, I'm fairly certain well, I don't know. No one ever told me how I booked it, but I just know that the energy of what I was bringing was the right thing. And I remember when I was flying from LA to, um, to, uh, to Queensland to go shoot um, on our flight was Brian Gewurz and Chavo Guerrero Jr. Who were, um, you know, Brian is one of our executive producers and creative consultants um, it's kind of, he's kind of DJ's ear for us on set mm-hmm. and as well as bringing his own experience to bear. Um, and then Chavo is our wrestling coordinator and Chavo knew Pat, both of them knew Pat extremely well. And they were like, bro, he was like, what you did in the audition and what you did in our table reads was so Pat. It was like, you don't, you don't have to change a thing. It's just, and I feel like, like the, like everything I needed was on the page and and out and about in in some of the media that i found and you know really just try to think of him in that way in in particular in terms of our story 
you know, of where Pat joins Dwayne is really what the story is from, from my arc. So uh, a lot of it is I'm coming from a place of being a mentor, being like Mickey and Rocky, um, but also, you know, just one of the guys. Like, uh, I mean, one of my favorite scenes is the scene when, when you first meet him and he's coming in with Andre in, in the third episode of season two and everyone's sitting around the table and stuff. And like, it feels really relaxed and fun. Like we're, we all know each other because we did by that time we had all hung out for a couple months. So the, the time you finally seeing everybody together, we had already, we all, there was, there was no awkwardness. There was no introductions at the table. It was all like, Hey, what's your macho? Hey, come here. So like all that, all that was very authentic. Um, you know, I mean, when we were quarantined together, we spent all of our time together. We holidayed together. So it really made our, all of the, all of the, the historical stuff in Young Rock, um, you know, really authentic because we all really, truly love each other. And it really comes through on screen. I love that. But is, is there like an added pressure portraying a real life person, especially someone as important as Pat, not only to the yeah. business, but to Dwayne himself, the guy that is making this show, or is it a case of this is a role? This is yeah. what they expect of me. I'm just going to focus on that. Yes. Uh, that's, that's present. Um, there is an element of that that you have to ignore. Um, I'll, I'll give you an example. Um, completely unrelated thing. Like if I'm getting ready to go like MC some event for a company and we're in Las Vegas and there's a, a, you know, I'm about to get on stage and do five minutes with an, with an impression or two and work the crowd a little bit and then introduce a speaker, um, you know, and then the executive vice president of the company is standing next to him and I'm going to be introducing them. And then they lean forward and you see 20, you know, 3000 people out in the audience and they're all milling about and he leans over and goes, huh, no pressure. And I'm like, <laughs> My, and my response to that is kind of like, listen, pencil neck, you do your job and I'll do mine. You know, <laughs> yes. like really, I'm like, I, I'm like getting in front of 3000 people on stage for five minutes is nothing to me. I, 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 there's no stakes. My job is to go up there and connect to one person, regardless of however many people are out there. I don't need to connect to all of them simultaneously. If I connect to one, I connect to 3000. And, um, uh two like my job is to make it easy i want to make i want i want it to be fun so like don't add pressure i'm aware of whatever pressure is present sure but you don't need to apply it so in the context of of young rock i feel like what was great and it, it had a lot to do with the supportive team and, and like people are aware of that no one is no one is vibing you giving you that kind of stuff it's always like Hey man, what you're doing is great. Like Brian came up to me in Singapore when we were getting ready to fly down to, to, um, to go be in quarantine for two, two, two weeks. He was like, can I give you a line reading? And I was like, yes, please. I was like, this is how Pat would say it. Um, Cause I had recorded it a certain way. And then Brian would give me, he's like, this is how Pat would say the joke. You know, who was just talking to you? Nobody. That was the, that was the, that was the music of the line. He's like, that's how Pat would say it. I'm like, that's all I need to know. And that, and, but that line would give me clues to how to interpret other lines. Mm. So like, there's a, there's a bit in, 
where I come in. If you know the scene where Dwayne is practicing, he's called Pat to come to the gym and uh, Rocky doesn't know that Pat's coming. And Pat shows up and they're in the, they're in the ring. And uh, it's Dwayne's basically his tryout. And Pat goes, it's a fucking boxing ring. And that was written in the script as uh, this is a boxing ring. So it wasn't, it didn't have any of that music on it, but I just made that choice because that's how Pat would react to things. I'm like, what are you talking about? This is a big, ah, you, you, you know, that kind of stuff. So, so finding that music and embracing that music and playing it. And then, and then you, you learn after a while that people don't give you notes if they like what you're doing. There's no time. Mm. Maybe they'll pat you on the back, but if they print it, that means they like it. If they don't like it, they'll tell you. So I knew that if DJ didn't like what I was doing with Pat, if it didn't ring true for Brian or for Shabo or for uh, Jeff or any of our other directors, um, then I knew that someone would tell me. And I just had to trust my interpretation. And the other part of that too is like, they've got a million things that they're doing. My job is to be the subject matter expert on Pat Patterson. So if we're in a situation and like we found an improvisation uh, when I first met Adrian about like, it was a really funny line. I forget what it was, but I ad libbed a bunch of other things that all worked. And, um, but you know, it was, I was ad libbing within the context of what I knew about Pat. And then uh, when we got to Australia, one of the, one of the really, really helpful people was the guy who played mean Gene Okerlund, Dave Koenig. Dave like was a massive wrestling fan and he gave me so much wonderful insight into Pat, into his, into the, um, into the, his, you know, the Stooges era, like all of just the importance, how he had come up with the Royal rumble, like just, just Pat's massive influence and how large he looms over the, over the entire WWE. Um, so it was, it was really, really insightful. Um, there was, I mean, you just, you know, you just want to be able to have answers for your own stuff and knowing the nature of his relationship to Louie and, and all of that was so important to inform every choice that you make in the moment, um, because they're just momentary choices, but it's all based on your experience, right? Like, uh, it's, it's the same thing. It's I love that you and uh, Dwayne on initials, though. That's the Dwayne calls me KB. I don't think uh, Dwayne doesn't talk about me at all. All I know is like <laughs> I, I haven't I haven't met him. Uh, we did one Zoom where we all did the table read for season two, episode one and two, and that was the first time he saw me do Pat live, um, and. Brian told me after the fact that he was watching DJ's reaction to everybody's performance, all the new guys. And when I did Pat, um, both calling the match and then also meeting young him, um, he was like, Pat was just, or, or Dwayne was just grinning from ear to ear. So, uh, so that, I, that was enough. I, that was enough. And then I, and, and I've been really moved and, and touched by, how many folks in the, in the wrestling fandom community who have, you know, have just been so uh, kind with compliments and, um, and, uh, and comments about not only the accuracy of the performance that I've done, but how they've enjoyed the character, uh, the characterization. 
um, and how, you know, more importantly, how I just at the end of the day, I did right by Pat. That's really it of like, just wanted to make sure that I did right by Pat um, and by his legacy. And that that's that was really important to me. I think you've uh, smashed out the proverbial ballpark. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you. I really appreciate that. Man. I, I can't encourage people listening to this enough to go check out Young Rock if have not watched it. It's phenomenal. The actors yeah. are so good. And two yeah. that I took away from it who just uh, smashed it out of the park was yourself mm. and Yuli. Oh, he's oh, yeah. incredible. He's incredible. I was yeah. like, that is Dwayne. Like, that yeah. is... <laughs> he's, he's what, and I, and I mean, I spent a good chunk of the day with him yesterday. He's just, he really is not only like a consummate professional, a really driven, um, you know, is what he's done with his body over the course of the three seasons in terms of getting himself in the physical shape to execute what he's got to do. Um, he's playing one of the most iconic bodies in popular culture in the past 30 years. Um, so he has to mirror that, which is, and he's, you talk about a guy who's aware of the pressure and expectation, um, you know, and, but then also do the dramatic work, play the highs and lows of, um, of DJ's journey. And, you know, and, and I really appreciate it's the surprise of the show. When I booked it, I hadn't watched the first season and I booked it and my wife and I sat down and just binged the first season. And I was really surprised as to how much I absolutely adored it. Like it really it's there's so much heart and um and and Dwayne is so uh open about his own personal challenges and his journey and his growth and his willingness to reveal elements about his own um you know his his like the Christmas episode was so great this year about you know how he was trying to give a gift to Mick Foley to really impress him and Mick showed him that you want to impress me, give giving is way more important and giving to giving to people is, is his sweet spot, not receiving big fancy shit. And it was, it was just really sweet to like see them work through that kind of stuff. And, but then also through the eyes of the show, really going on following Uli's journey through that and Bradley's and Adrian's and Stacy and Joe's as well. And honest, like, you know, the, the core family group is, is, oh, they get to do so much wonderful, hard work. Um, it's, it's a really beautiful family show. I mean, we're up for the, 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 I think it's the, the kids choice awards. So fingers crossed for tonight, but like, uh, I mean, it's, it's, it's one of those family shows that really truly appeals to everybody. And, uh, and I feel like I, 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 I really want us to find a, a broader audience because I think, the more people discover it, the more they really, really like it. Um, it's a terrific show. Absolutely. The find one of the final episodes of this season might even be the final one when he gives his parents the house. Might be one of the most heartwarming scenes I've ever watched on any show ever. I was like, this yeah. is beautiful. Yeah, yeah it's an incredible show. I can't yeah. push it enough to people. Yeah. Uh, thank you so much. We really appreciate your advocacy for it and. And I'm just so glad you watched and took it in. It's a, yeah, it's a terrific show. Before we start wrapping up, though, I did want to mention you have your own podcast, sir. Yeah. All yeah. over voiceover. It may seem obvious by the name, but for those unaware, what's it about? Um, it's about, it's about demystifying getting into voiceover. Um, it's about talking to uh, my fellow actors, 
and directors, casting directors, agents, animation directors, audiobook narrators, producers, just kind of figuring out what people's process is in terms of how they interpret copy, uh, what their influences are, what their advice is. Um, to me, it's just been an, a, an exploration of other people's process. You know, it started as I'd sit in that lobby at CESD at my talent agency and hang out and talk about everything under the sun with all the actors waiting to go in. And we had a great time, but we, the one thing we never talk about because it's kind of, this is where we're going to go in and be competitive is the nature of the work that we're there to do. So creating a separate space, like a podcast being an opportunity to, as I was joking earlier, joking, half joking, amplify each other, but like also like it, it gave me the opportunity to build relationships to people that other under normal circumstances, I could, I, and I'm an extrovert, like in voiceover, everyone is an independent contractor and working by themselves. So I'd see, you know, I'd see Scott white for, you know, about an hour, him and Chantel hanging out in the lobby, doing bits. Love those guys. Amazing. See you later. Next time. Maybe we have the same script or next time it might be two weeks. It might be a month and a half. So the, the podcast is an opportunity to reach out to some of these guys and be like, Hey, I'd love to talk with you about this, 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 and this. I mean, my episode, I mean, if, I don't know if you guys have listened, but the episode with Deborah Wilson, the episode with Kari Walgren, the episode with, with Tatashore, with Scott, with AJ, like, and, and then recently with Serena or JB Blanc. I mean, there's so many amazing people sharing so much and it's very conversational. It's very relaxed. You're going to hear me tell the same story over and over again, <clears throat> but, but still, you know, I mean, I really wanted to make certain that, um, that I was able to bring in as many diverse voices as well, because there's always a white guy on my show. So I wanted to make sure that I'm talking to a really broad, it'd be really easy for me to bring in like all of my white guy friends. Uh, there's quite a few, but it was like, still like really let's get more women in, let's get more people of color in to talk about the experiences and the challenges. And then, and then what I learned in, in the process of getting to talk to them too, has really enriched my life and, and my career and, and I go back and listen to episodes just because it's a great little encyclopedia and capturing of, of a period of time. And, um, and I think there's a lot of great stuff uh, that will, that can really help folks. So I, I invite everyone who is interested in voiceover to check out the, the show all over voiceover. Uh, you can also go to the website, all over vo.com and, uh, and you can stream stuff there. Kiff, this has been so much fun. I absolutely love this. It's genuinely one of my favourites we've ever done. But Mr. Stevens, do you have any more questions, sir? I do. I have two, if that's okay, okay. with you, Kiff. Of course. Um, what I want, you've, you've briefly touched on it quite a few times that you now teach, obviously, yeah. voiceover, sketch comedy, etc. Passing your knowledge and your expertise to all the future generations that are all coming up, except I think it's phenomenal that you do that. I think it's amazing that you've, you know, honed your craft for so long now. You're like, you know, you know I'm only going to be here for so long. Let I want to yeah. pass on what I know and pass on, you know, to the people coming up and et cetera. Yeah. Um, what made you want to do that? Oh, it started, uh, it started at Second City where I got cast as an understudy to the touring company and they would give you free classes. That was the benefit of getting cast. They didn't pay you, but they would give you free classes. So I took, um, 
two free classes. And then the next class was all about character. I really wanted to take that class and it kept being filled up and they wouldn't knock someone out and basically give me a jump seat in the class. You know what I mean? Like, so, so Rico, the producer was like, listen, um, you want to teach? I was like, what? He was like, yeah, you could teach an intro class and start teaching that way you can make a little bit of money and, and, uh, here's the curriculum and go for it. And, uh, and I was thrown into the deep end and, uh, started teaching and, um, really grew to love it. And, um, like just haven't stopped. I I mean, I, with, because I started teaching improv and then would level up through there and then started directing and then teaching, directing, you know, it's kind of like these two things have always sort of run together. And I, you know, I'll, I'll like I'm teaching right now, kind of off and on with Kalmanson and Kalmanson here in Los Angeles, but then also teaching, doing private coaching um, and, and that kind of thing. And then teaching with the mocap vaults. I'm teaching a class called Pure Imagination in a couple of weeks um, where we use learning improv skills for specifically for motion capture and use in the uh, in the motion capture vaults for cinematics, for in-game, all those other kind of things. So really trying to um, you know, spin through it. I, I, I love, I, I love group work. I love an ensemble and a class is an ensemble. A class is this unique, special little spot where nine of us, 10 of us are trying to figure something out together. And I'm, you know, I'm a camp counselor in that context. Like I hold some information and I, I can guide you through a curriculum, but I can also be available to answer questions demystify stuff and i think that's part of the why the podcast was like absolutely it helped like amplify my brand a little bit and it got me new friends but it also functions as an extension of my class and my teaching work um so it's an opportunity to be able to have these places that are available and keep people company while they're driving Uh, i i i love like coming up with class ideas like i did a when i did a class at I started with a voiceover class at Second City that was kind of like an intro to VO, which was basically like, this is a microphone. This is the smart part of it. This is the part you want to talk into proximity, all the stuff I was telling you about earlier. You need to have a, you know, a focus right box, et cetera, et cetera. Like just kind of that kind of stuff where I could give you this information and, and give you recommendations. But then it was like, let's do a class about, um, specifically about voice matching. Let's do an improv class for voiceover specifically like how does improv influence vo in an animated script where how does how do you apply those skills for this work um that kind of stuff so um yeah i don't know it's 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 it just comes off of challenges that i run into and then navigate and then i'm trying to share those things so that's basically uh at the heart of my work it's great. It's great. It's truly inspirational as well. Like I, I could listen to you talk for hours. <laughs> well, uh, you can uh, all over voiceover. Why there's ninety some episodes <laughs> and uh, yes. there's an hour of it. So there's ninety episodes you can listen to. Uh. Um, but but finally, Kip, before we do let you go out here, I mean, when you first started your journey with improv and voiceover, etc., did you ever think that this is where you would be today? Yeah. Yeah. Yes, love that answer. I love that. But, but because why else? And I don't want to come off like I don't want to sound arrogant, but it's 
it's it's confidence. It's like why chase it? Harrison Ford says in Clear and Present Danger, and I use this line all the time. I didn't come in here with my hat in my hand. I didn't come to this town with a please, sir. May you, will you please let me come and play? I came in here with the confidence that I needed to be able to go into a room and say I belong. To be able to come over to the table and pull it, pull a seat up and go, hi, I'm Kiff. What's your name? And meet you eye to eye and be like, this is what I can do. Here's my skills. And what can you do? And be amazed and blown away and, and, uh, and excited to get to know uh, so many different people and become friends with them. But like also have the confidence in myself to say, I belong too. And, uh, and maybe, you know, maybe I can't do what you can do, but, but I can do what I can do. And maybe there's value in that. You know, I'm, it was really funny. We were walking, we were walking in, uh, in Australia across in, in nature bridge in Queensland is this beautiful national park of like different places to hike. And nature bridge is like this, uh, one and a half kilometer walk that goes down by a waterfall and over a bunch of fall trees through kind of a rainforest. And a bunch of us went and the guy who played Luke Hawks, uh, who plays uh, stone cold, Steve Austin was with us. And, and Arlen who plays, um, uh, Danny, and uh, like, like there were several of us together, we were walking and then Arlen was like, Hey, Kiff, do, do your impressions. So I did like, you know, a handful, I did Robert Dye Jr. And Nick Cage and Harrison Ford and stuff. And I got done and they were all laughing and Luke was standing there and then Luke goes, I can bunch press 300 pounds. And it was so <laughs> funny. It was like, it was, it was, it was a, it was the perfect response. And I love Luke, man. He's so cool. He's the funniest guy. And it was like, this really beautiful, like, uh, celebration of what I could do and him going, well, I can't do that. And then I was like, yeah, but I can't bench press 300 pounds. I can't do what you do. And I know he wasn't like, like eating worms or anything like that. It was just him being funny, but it was still like, it was such a cool moment, but it was, it was, I bring that up because it's, it's that aspect of it, of like, I want to be the guy at the table who can do the things that I do, not just in terms of my work, but but again, like uh, as a listener and as a collaborator and as um, as a team member, like, uh, you know, I, I've had I've had the benefit of working in a wide variety of, of spaces. And that's been because uh, you gotta if I just specialized in one place, when that one place dries up or is slow, you're screwed. So yeah. like so much of what I'm doing is based on necessity. If I can work on camera, if I can do voice matching, if I can narrate an audiobook, if I can do promo or learn it, there's there's what one man can do another can do. Everything is knowable, especially now between podcasts and classes at UCLA or at any university you can take classes online. You all this stuff is completely knowable and if if our job while we're here on this planet is to try to find a way to fulfill uh, what's inside of us. Uh, what's stopping you, you know, and believe me, I still have time to dick around and, and play super hot in VR and, and, and get my, get my ass kicked and call of duty too. I still have time to do that stuff. I still have time to be a dad, drive my, take my kid to Disney world and do all those things. Um, but like this work makes that possible. And the portability of it, hang on, this is going to sound loud, but like the, you know, the ability to take, to, to have a relatively small uh, footprint when it comes to equipment allows me to go out and do like, 
Um, people talk about voiceover being the golden handcuffs and I refuse to believe that notion. That just means you're going to get paid a lot, but you got to stay in your booth all day long. And that's where the opportunities are going to come to you. That's true. But if I take my booth and take it in the car and find a way to record quietly, then I, then I, then I'm not restricted. You know, mm-hmm. when I was in Australia doing young rock, I bought, I bought a portable booth uh, from snap studio for $450 and set it up in my bathroom in Australia so that I could continue to do work for the crudes because I was out of town for five months, but I was a series regular on a show. So they couldn't backlog all that work. I really had to get permission from DreamWorks to take the job. And when I, when I solved that problem for him and said, look, I'm going to find the studio. I'll have recording space. I'll have everything we need to make it work. Um, I will solve that problem for you. Uh, if we need, because of the time zone difference, if you need me at six o'clock in the morning recording, I'm at, I'm there at six o'clock ready to work. So, so it was that willingness to say yes to as many opportunities as possible. And consequently, while I was in Australia, in that same bathroom, I narrated two audiobooks. I dubbed two animes, including the movie Bell. I did um, multiple episodes, not only of the crudes, but also, uh, God, I voice matched Optimus Prime and a bunch of trailers for Primal, like a bunch of stuff. So like it was every day I continued to audition, booked commercial work. So like it's just a matter of of thinking a little bit and solving the problem and saying, yeah, I can figure that out. That's made all the difference for me. And um, and uh, and that's what I encourage anyone who's listening who wants to do this work is like you really want to be able to just say yes. You want to be able to say yes to your agents. You want to be able to say, yes, I have availability. And, you know, there's, and there's, believe me, there's value in saying no and protecting yourself, but you also, but there's also filtering through what, what is that? Is me saying no, because I don't feel like it, or is it me saying no, because, um, because it's, it's becoming detrimental. So it's figuring out those, that kind of stuff for me. Um, Yeah. I, I love what I do. So I want to do it all the time. And if I got a job at four o'clock in the morning in Australia in my bathroom after rapping at two, I'm going to make it work because for a second, I get to play Batman for a second. I get to play Optimus Prime. I get to be the things that I wanted to be uh, when I was a kid. Um, so I'm, I'm paying it back. Absolutely. Incredible. Yeah. Oh, you are so inspirational. I'm, I love to see <laughs> man. you. It's amazing. Awesome. Before we let you go, any plug social medias, websites you want people to go check out my friend? Yeah. Um, my first and foremost, the podcast all over voiceover. Uh, if you're interested, um, you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram. I'm at Kif VH K I double F V H. Uh, my demo reels and madness are at my website at kiffvh.com. Um, uh, there's also a way to reach out to me if you're interested in, um, in private counsel or private counseling. Uh, I'm also a licensed <laughs> therapist. Uh, no, I, um, uh, I, I actually stumbled into something. Uh, this is a whole nother story. I know you're trying to wrap up, but like I had, um, I was, well, I was taking a class at UCLA extension and, and had to blog. So I started blogging on my website. One of the things I ran across was this notion of artistic injury of having something or someone um, hurt you in your artistic space. I had done, I had been pursued for three years to be on America's Got Talent. I finally agreed. I went on, 
The producers gave me a running order of who they wanted me to do. And it wasn't organic, but I did it anyway. And went on at 11 o'clock at night, didn't connect to the audience, didn't connect to the judges. And to have Heidi Klum and Howie Mandel clap at you like, like that was it when you're doing, when you're doing your superpower, I, I felt like in a way I felt like Superman catching a rocket and then, and then getting called on the carpet by Congress. <laughs> ben Everett, it felt the same way. It was like, I'm trying to I'm doing the thing and you're, and, and you're, and you're crapping on it. And the very next day I had a job doing Han Solo. Like, like at that point in my animation career, it was like the greatest job I'd ever had the very next day, but it was still like this impact of like having Heidi Klum, like clapping slowly, looking at Mel B like, what do we do with this guy? Like it was the most, it just hurt. And I was, and I didn't know why I was feeling kind of down. And my wife was like, you need to go improvise. You need to go find your play again. They took something from you. So you need to go get it back. So um, a couple of friends of mine had been doing a show called Buddy Puzzle. And it was once a month, you do one scene, one five minute mono scene, no cutaways or whatever with two people. So I called my old buddy from Second City, uh, from Second City, Cleveland, Randall Har, and we went and we played and would do it once a month. And, and it was enough and it got my confidence back, but it was like recognizing, recognizing that you can be injured by other people and not physically, not even necessarily emotionally, but through your artistic journey. Mm. You know, if someone, if someone hits you on, on, a, you know, a DM on Instagram and it's happened a couple of times, people are like your drug sucks. You know, I've gotten to a place now where my my skin has gotten thicker and I'm kind of like, fuck off, you know, whatever, whatever. What are you doing? Put down the big gulp and go buy a microphone, then do a better Nicolas Cage than me and talk to me in 10 years. But like, you know, there there is that element of like you, you go out of your way to 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 diminish someone's efforts. It just feels really, uh, you know, whatever. But um, but I have kind of in that process of discovering that idea started working with folks, you know, occasionally of like, you can sign up on my website for VO therapy. Um, let's, let's talk about what happened. Talk about that and work t- to find strategies to empower yourself and rebuild your confidence. As I said, right at the beginning of this thing, this business is about confidence and people out there, uh, as Flavor Flav says at the end of He Got Game, be on the lookout for the spirit snipers trying to steal your light. Um, and uh, they're out there, man. They're out there. You know, you know they're out there. So it's figuring out how to how to protect yourself from them. And if you're open, if you're an open channel, like you you take it all in. So it's figuring out how to filter and uh, and strengthen yourself when it does get passed. So th- those are things that I'm working on trying to uh to share and encourage folks and and sometimes people just need to talk about where they're at in their career and they don't need advice and they don't need a class they just need to be heard and um and be told like hey man you you know talk to me what's what's why are you why are you struggling with you know i haven't booked in six months i'm like well okay let's figure that out not necessarily why aren't you booking but what's your what's your intention are you going, are you trying to book or are you trying to play the character? Those are two different things and it radically transforms it. And these are things that I, that I struggle with myself. So, um, 
Yeah. So there you go. Those are some of the things I'm plugging. Uh, watch Young Rock. Watch uh, Watch the Crude's uh, Family Tree. Um, uh, watch you know Marvel. There's there's some new things coming. Go ride Pirates of the Caribbean at uh, Disneyland and Cal- and uh, Disney World. I am the auctioneer pirate on the ride. So oh, if you awesome. are riding through the diorama and you'll hear way anchor now you swabbies. What be I offered for these hearty ends? Each one an egg layer. Uh, that's uh, that's me. So it's it's cool to be uh, to be a part of a part of Disneyland. That's pretty awesome. That's amazing. And fuck those people, Glorious. No one gives like I some people think that they've just got a platform to say whatever the hell they like now, and it just doesn't matter. So I feel you, kid. Fuck those yeah, guys. Man. Like who cares? Yeah, man. Yeah, and they're entitled to your opinion. You don't have to like it, but at the yeah. same time, then, yeah, then shut up. It's this this work is too hard. Like even I've I've gotten incredibly forgiving of movies because oh, man, like uh, Avatar Way of the Water is a staggering technical achievement. Have I seen that story before? Variations, yeah. Is it a best picture? Yeah. It's a best picture, not because of the story but because of what they did technically it's staggering. Is it better uh, than everywhere, everything, everything, everywhere all at once? Absolutely not. But comparing those two is impossible. They're, yeah. they're you know, like, and what the Daniels did with that movie of being able to use the staggering uh, multitudes of different styles and still tell a coherent, deeply moving story and integrate the elements of martial arts and uh, combat and, and st- it's, it's just a staggering achievement. And, and so like comparing those two things, it's, it's unfair to both of them. And, you know, and the longer you work in this business, I learned, I learned a really valuable lesson with, I'll help wrap this up. I learned a valuable lesson with Batman versus Superman because I was so excited to participate in it. Zach's one of my favorite directors leading up to it. I've got like, I saw your Batman tattoo. So I got my Superman tattoo here. I got this. Oh, amazing. Yeah. It's like, it's the, it's the man of steel Superman logo, but like, um, so like it, it means a great deal to me. And I was like, after shot it sat on it for a year and a half, the movie finally comes out and everybody and their brother like crapped on the film, but then would come on my Facebook page and go, you were the best part of that movie. Uh, you know, don't take it personal, but blah, 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 blah. And you're like, why are you bringing that to my doorstep? Um, and one of my friends uh, worked at Legendary. And she re- reflected back to me that I had gone on Facebook and posted a long rant about how much I was upset by the movie Godzilla with Brian Cranston. And, and she was like, we're proud of that film. You didn't pull any punches. And you got to remember that at the heart of these things, these movies are not monoliths. They're, they're, they're expressions of the artistic virtues and values of so many people, even something that's really easy to dismiss. People care about what they're building. You want it to be cool. Um, So it's, it's really changed my perspective in terms of how I, how I engage with, with work that I don't care for, how I engage with work that I do and how I respect um, even in a project that I don't like from a story standpoint, how I respond to the performances, to the set design, to the 
cinematography to the sound design, etc. It's it's this, these things are they create so many opportunities and work, and it's everyone's livelihood. Um, so so it changes your perspective on it a little bit. It's real easy to just go ah that movie shit. It's like yeah maybe to you, but you didn't see the director's vision. You didn't see the whole cut. You didn't see you didn't see it in the right frame of mind. You had an expectation. But then you revisit it six months later and you're like, you know what? I was wrong. The movie was amazing. Like, yeah, yeah, that's right. So anyway, that's my little right. People, people listen to take that on board. Yeah, that is so true. My buddy, Kevin, my buddy, Kevin Lease is a prop guy on Suicide Squad on David Ayer's Suicide Squad. And he told me like in the props, he's like, we made six baseball bats for Harley. And Margot Robbie came in and went through all of them and was pouring over them and looking at them and selected the bat that she used that we made. And she participated in the design elements of it. And Will Smith, when he was choosing Deadshot's gun, like collaborated with them and talked about it. And then they made multiple versions of that. And they selected those things. And like, this resonates with my character. We're in service of the story. I've told this story multiple times before, but I, I met Harrison Ford and, and uh, after a show I directed at second city and, and we were talking and he told me <laughs> the, the bit was, is like, you know, someone says, Harrison Kiff teaches voiceover. He goes, really? Well, how do you teach voiceover? I'm like, I, you know, I was like, I'm sort of like Richard Attenborough in Jurassic park. I'm like, welcome to our voiceover. He goes, you know, what you got to teach someone is what to do when you get on set. That'd be a class someone should teach. I was like, okay, Mr. Set, what's your curriculum for that class? Like, it's not like you haven't been on set for 50 years. Like, what do you recommend? And he took a bite of his chicken skewer and he went, and then (laughs) about 20 minutes later, he leans across the table from me and he goes, here's the thing that no one understands about this business. This is a service industry and we are in service to the existential truth of the story. No one is above that. So make certain that if you're teaching people anything about being on set, that's what you tell them. Um, so, um, so that's what I tell people. Uh, we're in service. And, you know, the props department is in service. Cinematography and cameras are in service to the story. The actors are in, in service to the story. The story is this amorphous thing. It's, it's intangible. We're embodying it and letting it breathe through us. So our job is to be as open as possible and supportive as possible. And if our focus is that, then we're firing all cylinders. Where things get in trouble is when we put our egos above it. That's where it struggles. And that's that's an internal challenge for every single person. So it's a matter of finding a way to get your ego out of the way, open yourself up to telling the story, do your work, be ready, um, do your best work. Um, and it will help let the story breathe the way it needs to. Absolutely beautiful. You wonderful man. You I really think we should wrap this up before we're here for another hour because I know gotcha. it could happen. This is <laughs> <Yes>. amazing. Awesome. <laughs> this Thanks has been well. absolutely amazing. Like, I've awesome. loved every single second of it. Thank you so much for taking your time out to come and chat to us today. Oh, man. Dude, my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me on, guys. I'm glad that the show resonated with you and uh and thank you so much for discovering my other work and for reaching out. Um uh, yeah, it's great to know you guys. Yeah, you too, my friend. I We're going to drop this on Friday, um, 6 p.m. UK. So, gosh, that's going to be like early for you, isn't it? 10 so, a.m. That's cool. Yeah. No worries. 
I'll, uh, I'll amplify um, it when I get up or set something up, but that's so awesome. Thanks so much, guys. What a blast. Not at all. Yeah, thanks, man. Have a great day. Look after yourself. We'll speak to you soon. You Cheers, Kevin. Take care, buddy. Peace. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Just superb. Oh. We do love we do love a Jamie catchphrase. We do, do love, love a Jamie, Jamie catchphrase. Yeah, thank you so much, man, for coming on the show. We absolutely love talking to you. And honestly, we wanted to keep going, but obviously for time and everything, <laughs> we were a little bit stretched. Um, so I think we might have to do a round two. Uh, it was Definitely. absolutely sensational. Thank you for taking the time out, man. Like it was, I just loved every second of it. And the greatest intros ever recorded. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We can say we've had Nicolas Cage introduce our show. Um, guys, we hope you enjoyed listening to it. I stumbled over my words. Let me start that again. We hope that you enjoyed listening to it as much as we did recording it. It's about getting into schools and talking to young people because, you know, I, I know that people can change. Uh, and, it, and it's about talking to people and getting them to understand and perhaps step back from violence and, and prejudice and whatever. And we just need to work together and keep on the good fight there. Absolutely. Hey there guys, we are ecstatically happy to announce that we are associated with the Sophie Lancaster Foundation. The times are changing and with the unfortunate death of Sophie, those changes have made a massive impact for the future. If Sophie was with us still today, I can guarantee what you are doing will still be reaching so many lives of young teenagers, young adults, and those who wish to be as different as possible. So thank you very much. To find out more about this incredible foundation and all the work they do, and more importantly, how you can help, head on over to www.sophielancasterfoundation.com. The Stevens. What's going on? It's audience participation time, baby. Participate, bitch! Ladies and gentlemen, it's time to participate in Jamie's participation challenge. <laughs> this week we said we all like to receive compliments. But sometimes a compliment makes you wonder if it really is as nice as it seems. With that in mind, this week we asked the question, what is a compliment that actually sounds more like an insult? I'll say you, Mr. Stevens. Do you have anything for this one? Uh, no, I just got bullied to fuck. So it <laughs> actually insulted me more than anything else. Um, I think there's been times where, like when I was at school and I fancied a girl, and I said, like, you know, um, I really like it and they laughed in my face. That's pretty much about it. So, wow. Um, yeah, I've had that a few times. Um, so, yeah, I've not really had anything. I feel like a thing on the top of my head. The most I've got is in most recent years. It was like, you look great now you've lost the weight. I'm like, so I looked like fucking shit beforehand. Is that what you're trying to say? <laughs> yes, Jamie. That's exactly yes, yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, no. <laughs> you look like a fat idiot. Thank you. <laughs> I'm, I'm not going to lie. I thought this would be really good fun, this question. I thought we could have a laugh at me. But some of them are really upsetting. Like, I was like, I felt really bad with some of these answers. Can I just say something before we get started? Is I want to congratulate you massively because I can go back to that picture or the video you shared when you were at the park 
I think it's oh, like Olivia on Avelina when it's on the other side. Video. And you are, li- I think that's literally your biggest. And look at you now. But look at yeah. you now. But look yeah. at you now, mate. Absolutely smashed it. I'm so proud of you. No matter whatever you put on now or lose now, you will never get back to that again. No. 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 So, ne- so don't sweat it, man. Six and a fucking half stone gone is... It, it, you could write a book on that shit. Here's Joe Weeks and Slimming World. Anyway, let's get anyway, some answers. Sorry, participation challenge, yeah, sorry. Leanne Victoria, if you were six foot tall and a man, you'd be just my type, said by a man. Hold <laughs> <laughs> on, let me change gender, bear with. <laughs> I'll just grow one of these. There it is. <laughs> Laurie, Laurie Jean, your hair is beautiful. I like getting my fingers stuck in it. That was a child at work who said that to him. It's, it's so beautifully knotty. Oh. <laughs> the way you fucking think is it. Thanks for the bit. Matt Rose, you'd be a great match if you were taller. Oh, low below, literally. <laughs> PR Brown, this one made me really laugh. Wow, that looks really interesting. <laughs> He delivered that spot on as well. <laughs> oh. This one, this is one of the ones that made me really sad. Gemma Williams, you'd be really pretty if you made an effort. Yeah, thanks, Mum. I'm still not sure if that was a compliment or an insult to me. Oh! From a mum of all people. And Gemma Williams again, well done. I knew you could do it. <laughs> Just, oh, condescending prick <laughs> Wes Pike again another height one if you wasn't small height wise I would go out with you who the fuck says that to someone women don't like small guys do they I think it might be a general consensus it's, it's just I don't know I don't know I'm not a fucking woman am I plus I'm six foot three so I've never well, I suppose yeah. <laughs> So, you know, I feel, I feel, guys, I feel you. I, I massively feel you. Like, I'm, I'm, I've got your back. Don't worry. Don't worry. I'll put you in my shoulders in the future. It'll be fine. You're <laughs> too yeah, fucking tall. tall. Yeah. <laughs> Sammy Bacon. See, you can be nice. Oh. <laughs> <I> mean, oh. <laughs> Phil Jolly. Whenever people say good for you, it just sounds sarcastic and shit. Yeah, so, I don't like yeah. it. It's when people say things are nice. You're like, just nice? Is that like, <laughs> that's not a shit word. Yeah, that's <laughs> nice. That's nice. Yeah. Bless you. That's nice. That's, I don't give a fuck, but I'll, I'll respond anyway. Ash Bentley. This, I, I felt this one. You're not as fat as I remember. That was a personal highlight for myself, he says. Oh. <laughs> Bless him. Dina Payne, again, one I relate with. You look normal now. What's that even mean? <laughs> Define normal. Go on, person who said that. Tony Martin, you look good, bald. He was a level of time. This is a bloody long name. Samantha Louise Knapwall. That is a fucking long name. Fair play. So from a teaching assistant, this oh, she's a type of girl my dad warned me about, but I always wanted to meet. I was 16. Oh. Oh. Yeah. Oh. 
Uh, yeah, no, let's move on. Let's go. Matt, Matt Bacon, you don't look as stupid as you look. Wait, what? That doesn't make any sense. You're not as stupid as you look. I think that's what he meant by that one. Yeah. Surprise. surprise. <laughs> oh, Victoria Obi, you have such a pretty face. You'd be stunning if you lost some weight. Smack that person in the fucking head immediately. Oh, headbutt, chin them. I fucking love this. <laughs> my best friend's like, fuck that person. Oh, oh fuck them around. straight to hell. <laughs> Jerry Keane, you remind me of Tom Stevens. It took me days to get over that. Dick. <laughs> I hear that all the time as well. <laughs> <laughs> Jasmine Lamy, you look like you could ruin my life and I'm into that. Yeah, it's weird. How do you say that? I know, like, okay. (laughs) How how do you begin? Like, uh, some people have got some weird fucking kinks, man. Like some weird ass kinks. But where do we? Like, how do you even? uh, I don't even know how to answer that. (laughs) If someone said that to me, we're like, thanks. I don't. How do you take that? Give me all your money, then. (laughs) If you really want me to ruin your life, I'll have all of your money. Yes, all of it. (laughs) Uh, Rach Stamp, have you lost weight? You've completely lost your tits, haven't you? <laughs> How did she say it to someone? <laughs> I wish someone said it to me. Northerners, sort of. <laughs> <laughs> Bloody Northerners. Martin Skerritt, you're a, com- a C-U-N-T. I fully take that as a compliment. <laughs> so I was good. I didn't say the word. I was good. See? Asterix to you in the NL. <laughs> Jason Brogdon, well done, you. I'm not a fucking dog. <laughs> <laughs> Two more. Former guest, Bill Buchanan. James Morrison commented on it. <laughs> i so happy. He says, I don't care what anyone else says. I thought you were great. <laughs> Incredible. What an absolute arsehole. <laughs> he was crazy. Basically, what I'm saying is, everyone thought you were fucking shit, but I thought you were wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love that answer. And by the way, one of your friends who replied to his comment absolutely destroyed me as well. Dude. <laughs> yeah. You look just like this guy in that program watched. Uh, it is. <laughs> it, it, it is him. <laughs> Roaring. <laughs> They'll be can. And last but not least, he's back, ladies and gentlemen. It's been a few weeks. It's only Ryan Williams. Oh, Ryan's back. Yes. Ryan's back. Although these made me really sad. So, Ryan, if I could give you a big cuddle and a forehead kiss, I would do so right now. Says, Ryan, number one, you'd be cute if you weren't white. Whoa. whoa, I'm not now. I'm not going to touch that one. That's insane. <laughs> Number two, you have a perfect face for radio. Oh. Three, too bad you work in a restaurant industry. You're cute, but I don't date beneath me. Oh, oh. Jesus. Bitch. <laughs> Fuck that. Per- Fuck up. No, I'll chin her and all. <laughs> have you ever thought about contacts? No. Leave your fucking glasses alone. The phenomenal pair of specs. I know. A five. Maybe don't smile. Oh, oh my god. 
Unfortunately, unfortunately, I've heard most of these in the last month or so. Needless to say, my self-esteem is completely out of whack. Well, Ryan, you're one of the most wonderful fucking people on this planet. So ignore them, because they're all that word I spelled out earlier, but I'm not allowed to say. Right, you're you're a major mainstay. You are a hero to us. We, sorry, I keep burping. I do apologize. I'm trying really hard not to. Um, <laughs> you, sir, are an absolute champion. You've been with us since the superhero bar fight days. You've been with us since day dot. And we love and worship the ground you work on, like massively. We love you, Ryan. You're a, you're a hero, a legend, and a champion amongst so many people. So don't let those people get to you down. Don't let them get to you. Fuck them. Fuck them in the Dickheads. ass. Yeah, exactly. So, Ryan, you will always be loved here on TCO Pod. You are one of our boys. Um, but if you enjoy Dave's participation challenge and you enjoy Tom's journal, Callum's preaching to the absolute wanky box at the beginning and the interview, then you enjoy the other 76 editions of Chronicles of Podcasts wherever you get your podcasts from. Let me Google, Spotify, Apple, etc. Anywhere you get your podcasts from, all on there. We're on YouTube. You can find us on YouTube at the Chronicles of Podcasts. Hit the subscribe button, hit the bell to get notified and comment as much as you like. All of our Wayward Wednesdays are on there. All of our Bloodstock interviews are on there. Our Bloodstock blog is on there. And our Double Inquest blog is on there. We've got so much coming this year. It's exciting time to be a Chronicles of Podcast listener. That's all I can say right now. Yep, it's one of those dangling the carrot sort of things to say. But unfortunately, we are tongue-tied. So apologies massively to everyone that is listening to this. Um, we're on Facebook as well. Get us there at the Chronicles of Podcast. Jamie, whilst we're on the subject, where else could you find us? You could find us scrolling through Kiff's IMDb and going, this man has been in some incredible product. This man has been in some incredible projects. Let's play Spot the Kiff. That's and on the Twitter oh. at TCO Pod. Whilst you flip through Kiff's IMDb and follow us on Twitter, where else can you find this, Jamie? Sitting in the corner thinking, I'm going to blob. Blobby, 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 blobby. I can't believe you just brought that up again. <laughs> or on Instagram <laughs> at TCO Pod. We're on TikTok at TCO Pod. Jamie is putting some absolutely amazing videos up. I was scrolling through earlier, just enjoying the memes there, boys and girls. You can find us on LinkedIn at the Chronicles of Podcast. Come follow us on there as well. Connect. Let's let's get chatting. You know, if you want to be a guest, come chat to us. Um, and you can also find us at our beautifully brand, spankingly sexy and wonderful little website at www.thechroniclesofpodcast.com. What about us on there? The shows are all on there and the affiliations and sponsors are on there. Get subscribing, followers, share us, come chat, come say hello. I just want to do a massive, massive shout out to the, to the mainstays, the people that have been with us since the, since the beginning, the people I can mention that I notice this show all the time, Claire, Gemma, and Ryan. Huge thank you so much. Just want to give you a massive shout out. Thank you so much for listening to us. We appreciate it more than you could ever possibly imagine. And thank you for always being with us, always watching. We do appreciate you participating every single week as well. I will now hand over to my wonderful co-host over here. Oh, my turn now. Before we get out of here, let's say thank you to a few of our friends. Every single piece of music you hear on this show is brought to you by one man. That man is Mr. Singer-Songwriter Matt Roberts. The man has some incredible music out there. And what you hear on this show is just a little sneaky peek, a little sous-son of what he can offer to you. So Ooh. please, good word, right? Go follow him on all the social medias at Matt Roberts Music. Go find him on Spotify. Give him a follow on there. Everything he's released today is on there. He's got a brand new album coming out soon. You just can't get enough Matt Roberts in your ears. New Plus, he's got a very exciting project coming up very soon, ready to announce. So follow him so you don't miss out on that. And of course, as you heard from him earlier, it's only Mr. Braden Barry and his Stay Cozy Clothing. Head on over to www.staycozyclothing.com.
smartphonesapp.com or download the smartphone app. Find whatever you like. It could be that hat Tom's wearing. It could be that hoodie Tom's wearing. It could be that hoodie that I wear every alternative week or the T-shirt I wear alternative weeks. Whatever it might be, you like the look of it, stick it in your basket. Head on over to the checkout and enter that discount code, The Chronicles, and get yourself 10% off your order. A little gift from him to you. And of course... It's the Sophie Lancaster Foundation. They're, stamp- they're stamping out prejudice, hatred, and intolerance everywhere. We cannot say thank you enough to every person who listens to this show, who is headed over to the website and filled in that questionnaire. But you know what? Let's keep it going, boys and girls. Let's keep sharing that link. Let's get that questionnaire filled in. We want as much evidence as we can to send towards the courts so they can do what needs to be done and get the alternative subculture classified as a hate crime. This needs to happen. Festival season is approaching. If you are going to any festival this year, the Sophie Foundation will probably be there. Head on over to them. Go have a chat with the guys. Learn about what they're doing. Buy some merch. Buy some wristbands. They're great. Buy some T-shirts. Buy some hoodies. Whatever it might be. Just support the foundation because they deserve it. They need all the love we can get because Sylvia's mission is still not complete. And we're not going to rest until it's complete. So please help us, help them, and let's achieve her mission. And last but not least, a massive thank you to that handsome bugger right there. Just look at his little face. Right back at you, JB. Right back at you. We're not talking about Robbie Cohn. JB, I'd like to say another absolutely fantastic week, sir. Oh, yes. Very much enjoyed this one indeed. Oh, thoroughly. Kiff, again, thank you so much for taking your time out. The chapters, I don't know how busy you are. Um, very excited uh, for more episodes of Young Rock. We can't wait, we can't wait for that. But Jamie, we're back next week with an absolutely amazing episode. The Chronicles of Joe really next week, Jamie. Yeah, next week. 78. And, and as for this week, we are going to see you all next week. Goodbye, everybody. <laughs> <laughs>